It's a positive film. It has heroes and villains, and uh, that it essentially uh, is a fun movie to watch. It's been a long time since people have been able to go to the movies and see a sort of straightforward, wholesome, fun adventure. Well, it's a fantasy. It's not science fiction so much as it is space fantasy. And it's about people. It's about... Fin it's finally about people and not finally about science. The story, when you actually put it into words, is only so much nonsense to hang a great visual experience onto. It's the stuff that fairy tales are made of. Sort of boiling down religion into a very basic concept. Uh, the fact that there is some deity or some power or some force that sort of controls our destiny, uh, works for good and also works for evil. Marvelous, healthy innocence. Great taste, wonderful to look at, full of guts, nothing unpleasant. I mean, people go bang, bang, and people fall over and dead. But, you know, no horrors. A sort of wonderful freshness about it, kind of like a wonderful fresh air. It's got whatever you want it to be. It's a it's pure entertainment. It's like a roller coaster ride, and it can be interpreted as long as you enjoy it, which is the intention. Welcome back to Generation Skywalker. I'm Dan Burgess and you're joining us for a look at Ahsoka and uh, we're here to take a look back at the series and share our thoughts. Joining me this episode, I've got Mr. Craig Spivey. Good evening. I've got Mr. Jez Allinson. Good evening. How you doing? Very good. It was a very intimate little group we've got this evening. Hmm. Just the three of us. Yeah. So those of you that have been listening for a while will know that occasionally we do these. Uh, what do we describe them as, guys? Are they retrospectives or... Yeah, kind of commentaries, aren't they, I guess, and reviews. Yeah, so previously we've looked at the Book of Boba Fett and Obi-Wan Kenobi. And yeah, this is our, our latest attempt at giving our opinions on these shows. So we'll take a look at each episode, uh, give a little synopsis of each episode, talk about our, our own feelings towards it, and then, and then our listeners' feelings as well. So we've got our We Are Generation Skywalker group where we've been running polls on each episode and people have been voting and giving each episode a star rating. So we'll we'll have a little sum up of each episode and then yeah, see where see where the conversation goes, guys, because there's lots lots to unpack on this one. There certainly okay. is. And the thing is, I don't know what you guys think at all. This is going to be, you know, th th this could all go horribly wrong. I don't know. I'm usually the glass half full person. Dan, you tend to be a little bit more picky. Uh, Craig, you see things in these shows that. You know, we don't with regards to the to the art and and everything else, and the the sort of artistry behind it and and the, the concepts. So um, yeah, it's going to be quite interesting to see what happens here. I, I genuinely don't know if you if you two liked or disliked this show. I I still want to know who changed my name to Mister Negativity in our little <laughs> messenger group chat. I only noticed that the other day. That was not me. <laughs> that was bet not was, me. But it was bloody Stuart. Yeah. Let's get straight into it, guys, because there is a lot to go through. Very well. A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. There's a huge amount of 
callbacks to different series and characters and I mean, some people describe this as Rebel Season 5, but we'll we'll get into that as we go. But looking at the, the run into the series, were you getting excited? I, I was excited. I I am generally an excitable person when it comes to Star Wars. Yeah, I get a little bit jaded sometimes with all the negativity, which and yeah, there's been occasional bits which I haven't liked in some of the TV shows, but the top positives far outweigh all of those. And having seen the teaser and the trailer which had been dropped, no, I was really excited, really, really excited. And I was getting sort of caught up in the whole venturi of enthusiasm that I was seeing online. Well, I wasn't Force Awakens levels of excited. You know, we're on a roll with these these TV shows, aren't we? You know, I always look forward to see what they're offering up next. And I think this one was... Unique in its ambitions to portray characters that, you know, were well established in the animated world. Uh, and also with the, the addition of Thrawn, you know, that connection back to those first legacy expanded universe novels that I devoured in my 20s and 30s. No, I was I was excited just for the fact that it was kind of billed as Dave, Dave Filoni's show and for me, someone who's kind of, he was at the, I don't know, they described him as being at the feet of George Lucas. He kind of got everything that he's got today in terms of the direction of the story of the Clone Wars, Rebels, all of that stuff all came from, from his time with, with George. And to have him, give him the opportunity to finish those stories or at least continue them, I was, it got quite exciting. When you look at what they did with Mandalorian and things like that, I mean, he was heavily involved with that as well. So I thought it, it was good for, it was nice to see Dave get some recognition and be able to do some live action on his own and even direct some episodes so i was excited for that if nothing else it's true this is the one title that there was an absolute ground rush of enthusiasm ahsoka tano is something which people have been thirsty for for so long now yeah i I just wanted to find out more and i wanted to understand why because you know we i was we started off as the original sort of ot bands and then have been following star wars ever since but i was of that sort of age group where i kind of missed the cartoon network generation of people who fell in love with ahsoka and i've been catching up you know and that's a great thing about disney plus that i've been able to catch up with it but it was just to see that enthusiasm and and people saying yes finally we're getting what we want um, from that particular sort of demographic it's been really really exciting i think because she's got that thread, isn't she? You know, through from the prequel, she's got that connection. She's got the connection to the OT now because of, you know, she's met Luke Skywalker in one of the episodes of Book of Boba Fett. And it, it's kind of like that, the end to end of that of that period. She, so it made, it's a bit of a no brainer for them to do this series, really, from that respect. She's drawing people from all angles. So, Jez, you had some some stuff you wanted to go through as well, didn't you, about Ahsoka, a bit more a bit more on the fandom? Well, there is that because I know that, you know, our listeners are from sort of all areas of Star Wars. Most people followed Generation Skywalker initially because they're sort of OT or vintage collectors. So some people might be thinking, yeah, not really sure about Ahsoka, don't know enough about it, and you know, haven't committed that time, which is a precious commodity, to to watching the show. And I thought to myself, you know, how does one sum up Ahsoka Tano in a few minutes? You know, what what sort of brief synopsis can we give on this character? And I don't think it's possible. I, I've looked so far all over the sort of the net, seen various different videos. But there was a fan's perspective on how Ahsoka Tano became a Star Wars mainstay, which was published a couple of months ago by Kimberly Terasaki on August the 11th on the MarySue.com. And if you don't mind, and hopefully 
Kimberly Dozamite, and I am crediting her in this. Um, I'd like to share with you her thoughts as a as a huge Star Wars fan, but also an Ahsoka Tano fan. It's a great article, but I just thought I'd read out a couple of key points which Kimberly's making, which I think will really help sort of level the playing field and, and give an understanding of why this character is so revered. <laughs> Anakin Skywalker's Padawan, Ahsoka Tano, started off as one of the most hated Star Wars characters when she was introduced in the Clone Wars animated film that bridged the gap between the movies Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith. She was written off by many older fans as a bratty teenage girl, but with a mixture of sincere voice acting and clever writing, quickly changes people's perspectives on her, and over the course of the past 15 years, she's become one of the most popular characters in all of Star Wars. Young fans enjoyed Ahsoka as the perspective character of the series. Like them, she was young but eager to learn about the Force, the Jedi and the galaxy as a whole. Over time, critical fans were surprised to find her character improved. Ahsoka learned the value of patience and the importance of seeing the bigger picture. She provided some levity and brought out Anakin's protective side. By the time the Clone Wars went through its mid-season three time skip, Ahsoka had mostly won fans over, but that was when the anxiety began to settle in. The later into the war we got, the more the upcoming tragedy loomed. Ahsoka wasn't mentioned in Revenge of the Sith, so there had to be an in-universe reason Anakin and Obi-Wan wouldn't mention the former Padawan. Every arc where viewers saw her become corrupted by the dark side kidnapped by Transocean trophy hunters or accused of treason against the Republic had fans on the edge of their seats. Ahsoka wasn't like Anakin and Obi-Wan who couldn't be killed off in the show. She was vulnerable and her survival was unlikely. Then came the wrong Jedi arc. In a heart-wrenching twist, Ahsoka was cast out by the Jedi Order over accusations of treason. Only for the real culprit to be revealed is her close friend, Barris Offee. The Jedi Council invited her back to the Order, but Ahsoka's faith was shaken, and thus she left the Jedi and her heartbroken master behind. From March 2013 to March 2015, that was all we knew. Ahsoka Tano had left the Jedi Order, and all but vanished from Star Wars Saga. The Disney acquisition of Star Wars fans left doubtful that they would ever get answers about what happened to Ahsoka with the fall of the Jedi Order. But then came a little show called Star Wars Rebels, and its first season finale revealed Ahsoka was alive and well, as, as well as a major leader in the rebellion. And Ahsoka's voice actress, Ashley Eckstein, celebrated with an Ahsoka Lives t-shirt. A character who fans previously couldn't wait to see die was now being celebrated. However, fans of Ahsoka found themselves somewhat disappointed. Ahsoka only physically appeared in 10 episodes, and her character was only really explored in half these. In some ways, this made sense. Rebels was not her show. But even more controversially, Ahsoka seemingly died during her duel with Darth Vader on Malachor. An emotional end to her character, but one that disappointed fans who saw her as so much more than just Vader's Padawan. For almost two years, Ahsoka was effectively dead. But that was not the end of Ahsoka Tano. In an incredible twist, the show introduced The World Between Worlds, Jedi Padawan Ezra Bridger to pull Ahsoka out of her duel with Vader literally seconds before her death. Ahsoka lives again. 
from here Ahsoka's popularity and notoriety have grown. The announcement of Clone Wars' return for a final season was universally cheered in the Star Wars fandom. The Clone Wars Season 7 was almost entirely focused on Ahsoka's growth as she adapted to life as a non-Jedi and her part in the Siege of Mandalore, finally answering the question on how she survived Order 66. They didn't stop there either. Ashley Eckstein and many other Clone Wars voice actors cameoed in The Rise of Skywalker, encouraging Rey during her final fight with Palpatine. This vocal cameo was a first acknowledgement of the character in live action and was a marker of things to come. After years of rumours, Rosario Dawson made her Star Wars debut in Ahsoka in The Mandalorian, and with her own show announced mere weeks after that episode's premiere, while some fans have been resistant to anything other than Ashley Eckstein playing the character, Eckstein herself is voiced to support for Dawson's portrayal of their shared character. It helps that Eckstein continues to voice Ahsoka in the animated appearances in Tales of the Jedi, making it clear that she's not going anywhere. There are still some critics of Ahsoka Tano, or of how the writers handle her character. Some argue that the character has become a little too overpowered, and that she retains very little of her original personality. Others have complained about how the focus on her character draws attention away from other important characters. These complaints at least have some merit, and if anything, they make me glad that we have mostly moved on from irrational hate to mostly respectful disagreement. I think that's a wonderful selection of uh, of thoughts and musings from Kimberly Terasaki on the com. I agree with all of that because that's exactly where I was when I saw the trailers for Clone Wars in 2007 I think it was at Celebration they showed some stuff on it I thought this ain't for me not because of Ahsoka anyway just just the art style and I just I just I didn't do star wars for four years it wasn't i didn't come back to like 2011 i took a a break from star wars and clone wars was kind of like for me yeah they're going down a different path now but kind of my mistake because when i went back and watched it it was a great show i agree that she was very annoying at the start and it was hard to get your head around anakin having an apprentice but i think once you get past that yeah she's she's turned into a great character it was it was only until recently that i you know realized that yeah yes ahsoka's dave feloni's creation and was part of the cast of characters he was preparing when he was given the job of the clone wars but it was george lucas who said pair her up with anakin yeah absolutely so we're all we're all kind of learning we're all those who weren't initially there but i think over time as kimberly said you know with, with good writing and a really good not only performance from ashley Eckstein, but her belief in, in bringing that character larger than life you know taking it to celebrations the way in which she integrated interacts with the fandom and her own clothing line and everything else it just brought so much and just gave people that sort of i don't know they were able to harness the positivity behind it i, I think yeah it, it's clear to see why ahsoka tano is such a big mainstay so important to so many people and, and very worthy of her own tv show this message is a warning and a reminder for any surviving jedi a choice to be better remember your purpose trust in the false. So much like your father. I couldn't have wished for a better family. We will each be challenged. This journey may be treacherous. Our trust. I know, Master. Our faith. But I have to believe. Our friendships. You might not think of yourself as a Jedi, but you act like one. Ahsoka, 
your energy. There are going to be Jedi who disappoint us, Ahsoka. Your strength. But as long as we know there are good Jedi who fight for what's right... It's what we've been lacking. ...that makes it all worthwhile. Or at least how I want them to be. You're welcome to stay, Rex. Commander. This is your home, Cut. My family is elsewhere. I think I understand. Will I see you again? Perhaps. There's still a way. May the Force be with you. Thank you, Master. You're welcome. We're under attack! My Padawan. I'll give you one last chance. Is anyone out there? Go. I repeat, we are under attack! Join me. It's what you're meant to do. Or die. For all of us. It's Ahsoka! In my life... Ahsoka, steady! When you find people who need your help, you help them. That'll go, Ahsoka. No matter what. When you get back, come and find me! I guess it's just who I am. I will! Ezra's out there somewhere. I promise! And it's time to bring him home. Where is Grand Admiral Thrawn? So let's start then. So the first episode was uh, Master and Apprentice, uh, aired on the 22nd of August. The director was Dave Filoni, and it was 56 minutes long. But the only other thing just to point out is the Americans now get this the night before. They've, they've changed the times in which the shows were dropping. So I think we were getting them at like two in the morning in the, in the US. They were dropping at like mid at nine o'clock in the evening. So the tables have been turned slightly. So <laughs> where it was us waking up first thing in the morning, watching the episode and going online and spoiling it for them, it's, uh, they, they, they've changed it up a little bit. Yeah, small point. But anyways, Craig, do you want to give us your uh, overview of the episode? Yeah, what a lot this episode had to do. It had to, you know, allow Rebels and Mandalorian fans to catch up with where a lot of these characters are, while at the same time introducing them to new viewers. It had to set up the story, and it also had to make it all exciting and understandable enough for all of those people to tune in for the next one. And we'll discuss after we've been through the synopsis whether we think it was successful in doing that or not. But before we dive in, I'll do a quick rundown of where. We saw everybody last. So Ahsoka makes a couple of live action appearances in season two of The Mandalorian. Most relevant to this story is chapter 13, The Jedi, where we see her actively pursuing information from a Dathomiri witch, Morgan Elspeth, an ally to Grand Admiral Thrawn during his time with the Empire. Ahsoka beats Elspeth in a lightsaber versus Beskar spear fight and reveals that the map to Thrawn's location is hidden in a Night Sister stronghold on the planet Arcana, and she's taken into custody by the New Republic. The Ghost Crew, who we see at the end of season four of Rebels, team up with Ahsoka, ends with all manner of heroics as Ezra Bridger uses hyperspace travelling space whales called Pergil to transport both Grand Admiral Thrawn plus his Star Destroyer and all of his troops into the great beyond. There's a short epilogue at the end of the series uh, final episode suggesting that Ezra and presumably Thrawn are still alive and out there in the galaxy. And we also see Zeb. We see that he's a pilot in the New Republic in Mandalorian Season 3. But what became of Hera Syndulla, her son Jason, Chopper the Droid, and Sabrine Wren, we find out in this episode. Everyone up to speed? Totally. Okay, so Ahsoka Part 1, Master and Apprentice. This starts with an opening crawl, because 
it's Star Wars, but this call is different. It's um, it's on a flat plane with red text, but it's nice to see a crawl back at the opening of these things. So this story is set around 10 years after the end of uh, Rebels. It starts with two Jedi boarding a New Republic Mon Calamari spaceship, which is nice to see people dressed in General Maydean style uniforms. The captain of the ship is suspicious of their older Jedi access codes, but decides to call their bluff. And we see two force wielders, a white bearded old Obi-Wan, old Luke type, and a younger Scandi looking girl with a sharp fringe and a Padawan braid. Dock in their shuttle and proceed to make light work of the crew as they spring Lady Morgan Elspeth from the brig. Meanwhile, we find Ahsoka Indiana Jonesing her way through an ancient temple on Arcana to find the star map that will lead to Thrawn and hopefully Ezra. She retrieves the map, but on leaving, battles with a group of assassin-like droids. General Harrison Dula, now a senior member of the New Republic and sporting an impressive rank badge that looks like a packet of strepsils, is called in to investigate the attack and on seeing the Jedi-like nature of the criminals, contacts Ahsoka to get her view on what's gone down. Hera and Ahsoka meet to discuss Elspeth's breakout, and Ahsoka tells Hera that she hasn't been able to unlock the star map. Hera proposes that crewmate Sabine Wren might be able to crack it. There's a sense of reluctance on Ahsoka's part that leads to more tension later on in the episode when... uh, when Sabine is mentioned. But then we get to see what Sabine's been up to, and she's still on Lothal and avoiding a ceremony dedicating a memorial to her friend Ezra, who the citizens all believe gave his life to save the planet. Ryder Azadi, a live-action appearance of the original voice actor Clancy Brown, gets cross and sends his guards to find her. She avoids the detachment, which includes a vintage Kenner R2 unit uh, from the trailer and makes her way home to an old control tower. Back in her apartment, she wistfully watches a hollow message from Ezra that she's kept all these years. Ahsoka arrives the next day with the old Padawan training droid Hu Yang. They have a tense exchange over the map and its potential, and we learn that Ahsoka was at one point training Sabine in the ways of the Jedi, and it had not gone well. Sabine asks to borrow the map, to which Ahsoka refuses. Ahsoka quizzes Hu Yang about the dark side force users who freed Elspeth, and he reveals through studying the lightsabers that the older male is Balan Skull, a former Jedi Knight from the Academy, and his younger accomplice is possibly a new apprentice. While Ahsoka's distracted, Sabine pinches the map to take home and decipher. And in the meantime, Morgan, Elspeth, Balin and Shin visit the site of the temple where Ahsoka found the map. Elspeth reveals that the temple was built by the Night Sisters, a clan of witches that she's a descendant of. And for some reason, which isn't made entirely clear, maybe it's her witchy instincts, Elspeth sends Balin and Shin to Lothal to find the map. Of course, Sabine decodes the map in time for Shin and a few droid thugs to attract her down. The droids take the map, destroy Sabine's notes, while Shin and Sabine have a lightsaber duel. Sabine's unfinished lightsaber training is apparent, and Shin outmatches her, stabbing her in the abdomen. Reaver style, not Qui-Gon style. And the episode ends with Sabine lying on the floor as Ahsoka rushes to her aid. We know she's fine because we've seen the trailers. Besides, the second episode is already there on Disney Plus for us to watch. 
So do we think this achieved its job, setting all these characters up and making it exciting enough for people to tune in again? It did for me. <laughs> <laughs> I do worry about people who aren't familiar with all these backstories, though, because I know my wife wasn't overly impressed with the show. And I know, I know she talked to Stuart, his wife, wasn't he? really struggled to get her to sit down and watch it just to keep up. I had to do a lot of explaining <laughs> who was who and what people were doing. Is a pretty deep show in that respect. Yeah, I spoke to a friend of the show, Darren Heyman, about this. He's not watched any of the Clone Wars or he's au fait with any of the stuff. And, you know, he's, he was like, you know, a little bit put off by that narrative. Oh, you're going to need to do some research before you kind of start watching it. He watched it and went, okay, you know, that's her friend and they need a map yeah. to find them. And, you know, it was pretty evident what was going on. I mean, for me, I really enjoyed the opening. I think I'm bailing Skull is my new favourite villain in Star Wars. And I just can't believe, and I'll probably talk about it more at the end, that the, the guy that played him's died. It's just, it's just, it's just so tragic. You know, he's got such, so much potential in that character. We'll talk about where he goes and where he ends up at the end of the, the season. When he's going down that corridor, so Vader-like, he's got the build. He's just constantly moving forward. He doesn't stop for anyone. I'm just like, this guy... <laughs> looks badass i was i was really impressed with the opening i thought it was great who didn't impress me though was the captain of that ship ah. <laughs> you've got moff gideon being sprung from a shuttle you know in in the season three mandalorian you've got these guys rocking up and he's like yeah let's let them on let's call their bluff well yeah big mistake mate cheers yeah now normally i'm the sort of eager beaver here and i was like yeah i, I did really really enjoy it there's just a few things which i was like mm, okay the opening crawl, as you said, that was cool. Very 80s, you know, different colour, very, very 80s. So kind of, I don't know, a bit Terminator or Alien or something or other with the colours, but it looked, looked really, really good. But yeah, had to read it twice. I was like, what? what? What's going on there? And just went back and forth a little bit. Okay, now I get it. So more puzzles and maps. Mm, all right, preferred it when we didn't need to have that in Star Wars. And, and what I found difficult initially was, yeah, this is a map. So who's buried this map and here and why? And so why is that being put there? And I was struggling with that as someone who didn't want to struggle. But I was like, hang on a second. If, if this is telling you where Thrawn is, does that mean he's fixed? To, you know, surely someone can. No one's going to say this is a map to Jez because I can move. I've got bike. I've got a car. You know, <laughs> you know, I, I can move around. So I was just like, mm, there's stuff I don't really know here. Okay. Maybe I'm just done with the, there was you know sort of rise of Skywalker following this thing get a dagger out points to this, and I don't know. So for for a while that was just annoying me a little bit. There were a couple of things, music wise, and a few things. I was like, do you know what? This is a bit Predator. I was getting Predator vibes with some of the music, some of the sound effects, and then the self destruct of the um, assassin droids. That was a total predator callback as well when they would yeah, initiate self-destruct. And you could see that they did this whole thing on, on their hand or whatever it was. And then she was running away like Arnie in Predator. And uh, that's what I got from that. I just loved the music. I loved loads of the sound effects. But I just felt that the rebels were just inept and overconfident. So I agree with you there, Dan. Did you notice the hieroglyphics in that cave where she was? Yes. Did you see the, the Night Sisters on the wall holding the orbs that we're going to talk about probably mm -hmm. later on in the, in the show? So a lot of it was already kind of being set up, but it was one of those where it was kind of show more than tell. 
it was it wasn't they could have dropped a few lines in i felt like here and there just to help orientate you you know the whole thing with with Sabine and Ahsoka and it gets mm. more prevalent in the second episode but I thought they were lovers and they split up to be quite honest with you I had no idea that she'd been training her as a Jedi because mm. if you watch Rebels I'd watched Rebels years ago I, mean, I didn't realise there were 75 episodes of Rebels you know yeah. there's a lot, lot there's a lot a lot to go through there but she had no Jedi powers at all or even mm. you know an indication that she had any I mean they trained her to use a lightsaber changed, trained her to use the darksaber in fact so she could I think it was Saxon. Um, I can't remember the character's name. I think he's a, a relative of Previsla to fight him on Mandalore, so she could kind of basically take back the planet. But that's the only Jedi training she had. And all of a sudden, she's with Ahsoka, and we're meant to think she's—I don't know what we're meant to think. It was just, yeah. I found that that, that aspect I did find a bit head scratching, and a, a couple of lines dropped early on would have would have been helpful. Hmm. But there were there were some awesome bits in there. The um what was seen in the trailer with the sort of lightsaber throwdown and then using the force to spin those around and cut yourself a hole in the ground to then drop through. Mm. That just looked good, didn't it? I mean... Yeah, and I fight with those with those droids. It was the, the lightsaber dueling in this series is probably the best we've seen since the prequels. Mm. How did we all Something feel about the interpretation of these animated characters into live action? Very colourful, very colourful. Cad Bane come under some fire, didn't he? Because he didn't look enough like he did in the show. But my criticism, I mean, like Hera, you've got those oranges and greens, and it just, it's just a bit, yeah, doesn't look right against the aesthetic of everything else in the Rebellion or in the New Republic. But she was a good, she, she, looked, she looked like Hera. You would have said, yeah, that's Hera. So yeah. they, they accomplished that. I thought it was good, not just the characters. I thought Lothal looked brilliant. Yeah, it did. Yeah, you know, the, the city. I, I enjoyed it all. You would talk about the colours and colours of Hera and stuff. I thought in general that a lot of... The clothing looked just too clean. You know, you look at shows like Andor, everything looks weathered and well beaten in. And you could say, oh, well, they were uniforms. They're military uniforms. They're going to look smart. But there's a difference between looking smart and looking lived in. And I think a lot of the clothing that I saw did look like it was just brand new off the rack. But no, I, I thought the characters were very good. What did you think then, Dan? I did think the uh, lowfall was really well matched to what they did in the show, though. That big highway that kind of goes out to that that station where she lives is exactly like it is in the show. So I think there's a speeder bike chase yeah. in the very first episode, the very first episode of Rebels, where they're escaping some stormtroopers. And in this, show, she's obviously got the, the V-Wings, which I think are from, I think they first appeared in Dark Empire. Are they V-Wings, those ones? Do you know? E-V? Oh, is it E-Wings? E-wings, V-wings, I get my letters confused, but they, that, that, that they're from the you know, one of the very first pieces of Expanded Universe. It's great to see them on. And and the the, uh, the vintage-style R2 unit, I thought that was pretty cool as well. It was very Top Gun, the way she was racing along on her bike with the, with the ship yeah. alongside her. And that punk song, it threw me a little bit at the, at the start. I'm kind of like, well, what the hell is this? It was done by, uh, is it Kevin Kiner, who done the music for the show? he done the music for Clone Wars, I think, and Rebels as well. And the chap that did the music for Mandalorian. Ludwig? Yes. Yeah. So they, they teamed up and did the music. So the song's called Igya Ka, and it's sung by Illumini, Illuminati Hotties. That's the name of a band. Sarah Tudzin. So, yeah, she does the, the vocals on it. I quite like that. It's a bit different <laughs> for Star Wars. It's up there with um, in my playlist now with uh, Labdi Neck. Yeah. <laughs> I think it worked. I, th- I think it was good. I, I enjoyed that whole scene. Just, yeah. yeah. 
just threw me at the beginning, I think, when they were celebrating. And they said, oh, yeah, you know, this is great. Ezra Bridger who saved us all. And I was like, no, it was Luke Skywalker who saved everyone. Um, and, it, <laughs> and, and for a while I was like, oh, right, yeah, the the, the planet Lothal. Right, okay. Um, so you haven't watched Rebels then, have you? Or, or no, I have. I, I, I'd watched them all sort of once. And, you know, so I've just you know, gone through slowly. But I wouldn't say I was, you know, a font of knowledge with it. You know, I certainly couldn't call back you know, various planets and things like that. And then later on, when we when we look at the eighth episode and some things which were right at the end and people are like, oh, yeah, that's in season three of The Clone Wars. And, you know, I've had to go back yeah. and have another little look, see at that. Um, yeah. Layered. Let's just say it's all layered, isn't it? Clancy Brown is the is the guy with a white beard. So he played that character in Rebels. Uh, I'm looking the name up now. Ryder Izardi. So he played that character in the in the Rebel series when they were when they were taking back Lothal. So it was that's a good callback. And he he was also in Star Wars Clone Wars as uh, Savage Opress. He was the voice for that character. And he was in um, the Prison Break episode of Mandalorian. You're right. He was. Yeah. Yeah. The Deveronian. And he was the Kurgan in the Highlander. That's what I'll always know him as. There you go. <laughs> One character that did make the transition over from uh, animation to live action, and I adored him, was uh, Hu Yang, the droid. Yes. Uh, and I will, I have more to say on him, but I think he was a good, a great addition to the show. Oh, and uh, David yeah. Tennant done the voices for both as well in the Clone yeah. Wars, and they brought him back for that as well. It's pretty cool. I've written in my notes, I prefer him to C3PO, which I know is a terrible thing to say, but yeah, mm, we'll, we'll come on to him, I'm sure, later on, as, as you say, Craig. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, you know, we can't devote this much time to every single episode. No. Or yeah. No, but we need to on this one. I think because it's the opener. But what one thing I will say is that it is the elephant in the room. Uh, Sabine getting stabbed with a lightsaber. Mm. Jesus Christ! What's going on? I, 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 <laughs> <laughs> I was texting Grant at the time at I think three o'clock in the morning. And he was watching it live, and I was like, not again. <laughs> But yeah, I, I kind of I was willing to go. We're going to talk about it more in a second episode. But yeah, given how it kind of turns out and the treatment that she got off the droid, she got treatment off of. I was willing to let it go a little bit more. So before we move on from this one, then can I just say that table in Ahsoka's ship, right? Half the time it's the floor, yeah, <laughs> and people are walking on it, and then it rises up and they eat their rice krispies and blue milk off it. It's disgusting. They, they've all just got really really good sort of tolerance to germs and things like that <laughs> maybe they've not been through a pandemic um, that's what uh, yeah. Huyang's got four arms isn't he he's got the two arms on the back so maybe he's cleaning the table between every time he's shifting <laughs> do you want should we see what the scores were for this for this oh, yes. episode yes 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 so, so what, yeah. do what do we give it so we've got a combination for each of the episodes we've got our we are generation skywalker uh, Facebook group, which I'd urge all listeners to join. We are Generation Skywalker. And we were grading this out of five. Now, IMDb, they grade theirs out of ten. And Rotten Tomatoes <laughs> rate theirs on percentages. So we've got three sort of variable things here. But Rotten Tomatoes gave it 95%, which is, which is brilliant. IMDb gave it 7.8, which is actually the second lowest grade of of all eight episodes and the we are generation skywalker group gave it 4.0 out of five which is actually the lowest score of all eight so a real sort of across the board there rotten tomatoes giving it a 95 percent which is mid table imdb 
7.8 and WAGs 4. So not not the greatest, but still, I mean, let, let's face it, 4 out of 5, that's still pretty good. You know, 95% yeah. is incredible. And IMDb 7.8, that, that's still a still a hefty score. Well, you got to remember Rotten Tomatoes, though, that's critics in publication scores. So they'll, they'll take all the different reviews and... Mm base it on that so that that's more of a yeah a industry mm. marker rather than joe public whereas imdb is individuals going in and scoring it so that to get a four as an average seems seems fair to me seems it's pretty kind of... good yeah hey sabine i'm sorry for disappearing on you i made this recording because more than the others i need you to understand as a jedi Sometimes you have to make the decision no one else can. So that's what I did to defeat Thrawn. We've been through a lot. Grew up together in this rebellion. And we're not really family, but you're like a sister to me. I know your fight isn't over, and now I won't be there to help you. But I'm counting on you to see this through. May the Force be with you. Moving on to part two, Toil and Trouble, double, double. So a little Shakespearean reference there. So this was uh, directed by Steph Green. 44 minutes came out on the 22nd of August. It's now or never. Now. Here we go. Starts off, Sabine lives shock horror. Yeah, okay, so we know that. Huang and uh, 21B doing their thing to uh, to make her feel a bit better, but she actually feels a bit she feels a bit bad about the whole thing. She's let down everyone is, is how she's feeling. She's clearly showing that she she's not happy with where things are at the moment. What I do like about this sort of show is is lots of sweeps and wipes and stuff which we're used to on Star Wars movies. And, and what I'm getting from this is Last Jedi uh, in abundance, uh, absolute Last Jedi ambience with the colours and the sweeps uh, going across the sea and then up into sort of beautiful autumnal trees. And um, and then we're taken to the Henge, which is a bit like Stonehenge, but it's referred to later on in the series as the Henge on a new planet called Cetos. You get Balin looking up and at this stage, just very briefly, you catch your first outline of a space whale. Ahsoka, picking up on the fact that there are a couple of assassin joys which Sabine mentions, she goes to find the second one and she brings back his head. Now Sabine gets the detail after an element of peril, which had some nice humour sort of woven into it with regards to whether or not this person's going to blow up or not. And uh, and Hera was saying, yeah, go on. I think it's worth. I think it's worth doing it. As she was talking to them as a hologram, but as I said, some, some nice peril and a little bit of humour. And they ascertained that this assassin droid came from Corellia. So just after this, there was some really nice character work with Hera as the character, really sort of coming to the fore as a leader, a mentor, a manager, and more more of a mother really. And she's listening to a mentor in Sabine. It's nice, but it really, really builds on the character of Hera. Then you go back to Shin and Balin and then Morgan Elsbeth looking up at the map. And note, if you actually go back and have another little look at this star map, which is being sort of exposed in hologrammatic form at this henge, there are actually pool girls in the outer rim. 
And even when I say that, I'm thinking there are Klingons on the starboard bow. But no, there are Porgils in the outer rim. This is when Balun goes on to talk about the pathway to Pridia. And Morgan, his voice is calling to her. This is when we then start to uh, to find out about the Eye of Scion. It's on its way here. You go to um, Shin. Master, what happens when we find Thrawn? And then the, the classic lines, which is so... He's so good. He has so much gravitas for some war, for others, a new beginning. And for us, power such as you've never dreamed. Really, really strong, really, really impactful stuff set on a wonderful scenery. But then we go back to Corellia. So they've been given the clue and we're off to Corellia to find out why that assassin droid has come from Corellia. And we're introduced to a character, Min Weaver. And already you can see that this Min Weaver is a slimly little wretch of a man who you know is just up to no good. I actually put Min Weaver in an anagram maker and it gives V War Enemy or Envy Me War. It's nothing. I was just bored. Then we see the first time Phantom and Chopper just in the background, which is obviously wonderful for, for Rebels fan to see. But we get into sort of chat on Corellia about the ex-Imperials. So these are people who used to work for the, you know, for the Imperials. And then with the fall of the Empire, they're now working for this businessman who goes on to say that the average worker doesn't care about political nuances. Loyalty is his only sort of passion for his investors. And then again, you've got more of Hera being the leader. She's got loads of really good soft skills, but she's determined. Going back now, Huang um, laying it thick with logic, truth and banter. And this is where Sabine is miraculously healed. And maybe with a good element of back to tank and a 2-1-B just being solid. Back on Corellia, though, this is where we realise that there's lots of stuff and old Imperial ships being stripped down, sold for parts or used for the new sort of um, yeah, alliance that they're building. And then they notice that there's these hyperdrives from a super star destroyer. And Hera quite rightly says, you know, we, we've got nothing which uses those. C1 droid, which looks a little bit like 3PO, is a whistleblower. And then there's a huge, big, great chase fight combo with some awesome sounds and music set really, really well with, with um, Ahsoka really, really laying it down. And this is where we see a sort of lead character, Marek, who was really, really good. Great fight. Some really, really good battling between, on the ground, Ahsoka and Marek. And then you've got Hera and Chopper, who steals the scene. Uh, trying to chase after a ship which has just taken one of these hyperdrives from the Super Star Destroyer to a different location. Chopper steals the scene there and, uh, and it's good fun ultimately putting a tracker on this ship. You then cut to Sabine laying out a kit like she's in some sort of Japanese tea ritual or some sort of samurai ritual. She's got a Mandalorian helmet, she's meditating and then she's running through a hair cutting ceremony. She is having a change. Chopper eventually got the tracker on the ship, but it's it initially nothing definitive. But then we start to get into a new sort of chapter of this episode with Sabine dressed in Mandalorian gear, saying that she's ready. Complete with a new haircut, she visits the Rebels' mirror and tenderly touches Ezra Bridger. Ahsoka lands nearby, calls over to her, nice haircut. haircut. They then mention the Danab system, 
which no, isn't the system, isn't the Battle of Tenab, which Lando made reference to, but the Dinab system on the planet Cetos. That's the location of Hyperdrive, and that's where they're going to be heading. It's a lovely sort of tender moment between Ahsoka and Sabine, where she merely says, take us out, Padawan. You then see the Eye of Scion, which already straight away looks like some sort of hyperspace jump ring, and the final hyperdrive. Questioning Balin. Balin, what do you see? Her presence in the Force is elusive, yet determination is vivid. She is coming. Elspeth says, <laughs> Nothing can prevent our journey. Balin, to kill her would be a shame. There are so few Jedi left. Sentimental truth. So what did you think of that one then, Jez? Well, I don't know. I think I've pretty much told you all about it in about <laughs> the same amount of time. What do they say? 44 minutes? Uh, I I thought it was brilliant. I thought in this, again, the uh, Kevin Connor music was just brilliant. I think This is TV, right? People yeah. complain about it, but I can go to the cinema with my family and spend like easily half of what I pay for an annual subscription to to Disney Plus, right? We got we've got to appreciate that. This is really good TV. It's exciting, it's good fun. Yeah, I'm I'm quite happy to go over little bits where I'm like, mm, well that wasn't great. You can have that with your favourite football team or anything like that. This is TV, it's awesome and it's just you know, it's just really good entertainment. Yeah, I think it was it was a solid episode. They told lots of story, covered lots of ground, there was lots of action in it. I thought it was the, the first episode felt like there was a lot of, of Ahsoka with her arms folded, giving a a little looking at someone and giving a little smirk and walking away and it's oh, come on and this one felt like it did pick up the pace a little bit yeah definitely <laughs> just say it moved it moved things on in the way it needed to you know getting sabine back to her old haircut and chopper having some moments it was it was, it was a good follow-up to that first one and great that they released them both at the same time i think and of course this was the start of all the maroc hype Yes, who is he? Fans like to, <laughs> they, they like to load these uh, masked characters with importance. And, it, you know, I read everything from he's a Knight of Ren, he was Star Killer. He was one of the kind of zombie characters that the Night Sisters were responsible for. Yeah. Did anyone else have any theories at the time? Oh, I wondered, I wondered if it was Ezra. To be yeah. fair, I kind of that was my that was my kind of that was my initial. Oh, yeah, it's got to be someone we know. Was it going to be Reva? Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> I thought the um, I thought the fact we went back to Corellia was a nice touch, and I do like. I mean, they've, they've done some of this in in the Mandalorian season three, where we see the the New Republic taking these star destroyers and stripping them down. And it, if I remember rightly, in the in the in the expanded universe, they just carried on using Star Destroyers, right? Because I think Han Solo commanded a Star Destroyer. Maybe it was in one of the comics rather than the novels, but it felt like they just carried on using them rather than trying to take strip them down for parts. Yeah, I do, I do enjoy these little glimpses into the the mundanity of some of the post-Empire life, you know, and it's what, it's what Andor did very well, but just sort of seeing them, you know, what happens next and they're scrapping things. And uh, yeah, I, I like to see that as much as I like to see the space wizards. <laughs> and the idea of seeing that height, seeing that and knowing it's a hyperspace ring at the end, mm. it's kind of like, and you know, you know how those things work. You're kind of like, wow, they're going to, they're going to hook up a, a star destroyer to that thing. I just really warmed to Hera though. I thought you know, people at the first episode were like, Oh, she didn't really do much, but I think she, she did a lot in this. She was very sort of 
not dominant, but I just, I don't know, I just, I just liked the way she was interacting. And like, I liked the way she was interacting with Min Weaver. She was being, you know, really quite sort of forceful. There isn't a character so far who I don't like. And I think that's a really, really positive thing. So, you know, we, we all seem to like that a little bit more. And, uh, and yeah, Rotten Tomatoes, 100%. 100% of Rotten Tomatoes. However, that's joint top with three others. Half the series got 100% on Rotten Tomatoes, which is insanely good. Wags, we gave it 4.3. So we are Generation Skywalker, 4.3, which is joint middle table. And IMDb, 7.9, which was third from the bottom. So, yeah, all, all over the place, really. Mm. Fairly jo- joint on IMDb and WAGs, but Rotten Tomatoes, whew, 100%. I have just received a transmission from General Sindula. It appears the transport was traced to the Denab system. It has remained in orbit around the planet Cetos. We better get moving. Part three, time to fly. Uh, released on the 29th of August, directed by Steph Green again, and this one was only 36 minutes long. And hopefully that will be reflected in the length of my synopsis for this episode. Sabine restarts her Jedi training while Hera meets with a group of senators to gain permission to send the Republic forces to Cetos. Despite Mon Mothma's support, the other senators refuse the request. Ahsoka, Sabine and Hai Young travel to Cetos anyway, where they discover a colossal hyperspace ring, the Eye of Scion, which we've already discussed, and are immediately attacked by a squadron of fighters. Just as Hai Young finishes his scan, Ahsoka's ship takes a direct hit, forcing the group to make an emergency landing on the planet. After taking refuge in a forest, the analysis of the Eye of Scion shows it is designed to travel to another galaxy. The episode closes with Balin Skull dispatching his forces into the woods to hunt down our heroes. Now I'm thinking back for this episode, the the training fight with Huang at the beginning. I yes. thought it was brilliant. I really loved that. And at that stage, I put in my notes, yeah, Huang is like a much better C-3PO. You know, there's you know, all these little Easter eggs of people, blast shield down, you know, sort of Kendu style helmet. I can't see how am I supposed to fight. You know, we get lots of these things, almost borderline, is it too much? Because there are a lot of these things which people are like, oh yeah, I remember that in A New Hope. Oh yeah, I remember that in Empire Strikes Back. There is a lot of that. And are things like that too distracting? Or is you know is there a danger that a lot of series can be held up and poor writing being, can be excused for lots of really good Easter eggs? It's just, you know, disgust. But, you know, there were, there were lots of things like that in this which, which I quite liked. I thought it was all done in quite a subtle way, though, because wasn't there a bit where they... I don't, I'm not sure it was this episode or not, but Ahsoka opens a cupboard up and there's, like, five Jedi training balls all stacked mm. up in there and, and little things like that. that it, you know, they, they just exist in that world, don't they? They're not there. I suppose they are there for us to go, oh, look, there's a Jedi training ball like mm-hmm. what Luke Skywalker had, but she's a Jedi and she trains, so what's she going to do? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I thought you yeah, that bit where you talk about with the lightsaber training, though, that reminded me of the, the game, I don't know if you guys played it, the virtual reality Jedi challenges. So you, right. you plug your phone into it, put it into the headset, and there is a training session similar to that where you have to do the... Obviously you haven't got a robot standing in front of you holding out two extra arms with holographic lightsabers on, but it's very similar in terms of right, taking you through the the kind of the, the carters or whatever they, whatever they describe it. Wasn't the, wasn't the droid proxy in... Um, Force Unleashed, yes. Yeah, that sort of... 
that kind of vibe, didn't it? Yeah. But he'd take he'd he'd take on different holographic kind of people and things. This episode as well, we meet Jason. Mm. Uh, Jason Sindula, the offspring of Hera and Kane and Jarrus. And we get to see him, and he's not too annoying, which is good, isn't it? I think, yeah, he, you're right. He wasn't too annoying. Aunt Sabine is going to be a Jedi. I want to be a Jedi. Uh, yeah. No, yeah. What did you think of uh, Mon Mothma then, seeing her back as well? That was great. And, you know, seeing the, the sort of inner workings of the New Republic, finding its feet, you know, people who were there on the on the council that aren't necessarily true to the fight, you know. They were waiting it out to see who won, and that's an interesting dynamic. And seeing all that going on, I think, is important. And the fact that, you know, Hera goes against them. So did you, do you know the connection between Mob Mothma and the Rebels crew? So the, the Rebels crew were the ones that helped smuggle her out of Coruscant and take her to Dantooine when she finally um, made a speech in the uh, in the Republic Tundra about the Emperor not being a very nice guy. So they were, the, they were part of the crew that rescued her. So that obviously explains some of the relationship between her and Hera, which maybe if you wouldn't have seen the show, you just kind of thought, ah, oh, they're just mates. But I think even without that, you can tell that some people just warm to others. And in a work environment, you've yeah. got some people who are just like, yeah, I like this person. Whereas I don't like that particular senator. So, uh, you know, eye contact, everything's all right. So I think, yeah, and this is the good layering from that point of view, because you've just explained that for the benefit of those who are really well read. But for people who don't know that, they're just like, oh, she likes her. It doesn't matter. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They're all rebels. And then the space battle, I kind of jumped onto that. I got a bit ahead of myself, and it was loads happened before that. But that that was kind of that's kind of the next stage. And we go into the them coming out of hyperspace around Cetos and yeah, getting attacked immediately. Yeah, with with some pretty cool ships, which sounded like Spitfires, and the, the sound on this was very good. If you go back, there, there was an absolute sort of you know Spitfire thing chipping in, and she even just says, "Tail gun, please." And it really gave me sort of, you know, Memphis Bell vibes from that point of view, which I really, really quite liked. Um, and then, yeah, he got shot to heck by turbo lasers. So, uh, yeah, there, there was a good banter going on between Shin and Morgan. I thought that was all good. I, I think the strangest thing in the space was the uh, spacewalk where she uh, quickly donned a new outfit. Great for the toys. And uh, and managed to get her sort of, you know, all of her bits and pieces in some sort of spacesuit. <laughs> and I thought to myself when I first watched this and then the second time as well, did she lose her sabres? Because you see her at one stage, you know, doing her thing and then she's in midair and then I think she gets like hit and it's just like, mm, okay, I didn't see her turn her sabres off or down. Or, but anyway, I'm just getting lost in the weeds. Yes, Pergil, amazing. However... We have seen Pergil, or a glimpse of them, in an earlier series. So did anyone catch them in series three of Mandalorian? Yeah. And they were going through hyperspace. Grogu looks right. out and he, mm. he, see, he sees a Pergil. That's right, yeah. But this is our first proper look at them. Yeah. And I was worried about this, because if you've watched the final or the final few episodes of, of, of Rebels, you knew where this was going and that these guys were potentially going to make an appearance. And having them animated one thing, in live action it could be a bit what's this but i think if you can accept han solo flying out of a big space slug out of an asteroid and yeah you, you can't really not accept these things they, they are really well rendered i think they look great on screen they've got loads of detail and i think they, they fit the fit the universe yeah absolutely 
They're quite enigmatic in this episode, aren't they? You don't really get a, a long shot of them. It's it's tentacles and mm. close-up. Mm. They're quite kind of ethereal and mysterious. Yeah, I think they work. I'm, I wasn't I wasn't bumping up against them at all. There was nothing in this episode I really bumped up against. It was another. It was a. It was a night. It was a short episode, but I felt like there was enough going on and ended on enough of a cliffhanger that made me kind of wish the next episode was immediately available. That isn't what the uh, Rotten Tomatoes and IB uh, IMDb said. I mean, let's well, I'm face sorry, it. Sorry, Jez. <laughs> <laughs> let's face it. 84% is still a really good score, right? But 84% on Rotten Tomatoes is the bottom. It was the worst of the series, according to uh, Rotten Tomatoes. And IMDb, 7.4, which again was bottom of the uh, rankings for all eight. So yeah, Rotten Tomatoes and IMDb, not liking it so much. We Are Generation Skywalker, 4.2. So actually 4.2 uh, out of 5 is... 84 isn't it it is 8.4 so we were bang on the money with rotten tomatoes and that's third from the bottom for us so from a performance point of view all in all not doing as well as the previous two yeah i think people just want to get one of the i think half the problem with some of these shows and i'll say it now is that you, you you wait episode by episode to watch it and it is frustrating but then if you go back and watch, I, I never got around to watching the whole thing again, but I said, I think I watched the first five or six episodes and it does flow a lot better when you, we kind of, you can just watch them at your leisure rather than hitting that end credit and go, right, I've got to wait another seven days for it. Then that episode then becomes more relevant than it probably did when you kind of got 39 minutes. It ends on a bit of a cliffhanger and you're like, Argh. I'm surprised you let them get this far. Stay clear. I shall deal with them. Prepare turbo lasers. Rock, form up on my wing and wait for my signal. Fighters have broken off. You better get up here. Copy. Just keep the ship steady while I attempt to run my scan. Turbo lasers, primed and ready. Open fire. Part 4 was released on the 5th of September, directed by Peter Ramsey, and the runtime for this was 40 minutes. So again, let's go through what happens in the episode. So our heroes are attacked by Balin's forces, but are able to quickly defeat them. Fearing that Elsbeth is near, near to acquiring Thrawn's location, they head out to find her, but are intercepted by Shin and Marok. Ahsoka kills Marok, and continues on alone while Sabine stays behind to, f- to hold off Shin. Ahsoka reaches Balin, and the two engage in a lightsaber duel. Ahsoka retrieves the map, but as she does, it burns her hand and she drops it. Shin arrives, but is knocked out by Ahsoka before she can get the map, and the duel continues. Sabine arrives as Ahsoka is looking defeated and holds the map at gunpoint, but sensing Sabine's apprehension, Balin takes the opportunity to send Ahsoka over the cliff edge and into the ocean below. Balin persuades Sabine to hand over the map by promising to take her to Ezra. After Thrawn's location is received by Elsbeth on board the Eye of Sion, Balin destroys the map, and then he, Sabine, and Shin depart the planet to meet with Elsbeth on the giant hyperspace ring. A squadron of New Republic fighters led by Hera arrive and tries but fails to stop the Eye of Sion from jumping to hyperspace. Meanwhile, Ahsoka awakens in the world between worlds where she is met by her former master, Anakin Skywalker. 
I did like um, High Young at the very start when he's outside and he's working on the ship and yeah, gets attacked and he, he puts up a good fight, I think. Yeah. Starts it's calling out. They don't know. <laughs> yeah. I like the way when he started calling out, the other droid covered his mouth. I thought well, that, that took me a little bit. <laughs> yeah. No, I like yeah. it. I liked it. You, you can see already confliction with Ahsoka and that relationship with Ahsoka and Sabine where you know she's talking about if we can't make the journey to find Ezra then no one should better that than allowing Thrawn to make his comeback as heir to the Empire Sabine can I count on you and you know so already there's those sort of doubts over loyalty or doubts over what's right and wrong you know, sometimes you can see this as a theme throughout the series of you know people being blinded by their friendships or friendships getting them into trouble. Very much, you know, like friendships taking Luke out of his training in, in Empire. Um, mm. So, yeah, uh, right from the beginning. But, yeah, as you say, the Huang fight, really good. And then it goes on to that really well choreographed. Some people argue that they're over-choreographed now, but, I mean, come on, what do you want? But really well choreographed fight between... Um, with Sabine and Ahsoka against the sort of assassins and against the goons, proving that they're really in sync. You know, they're sort of force pushing each other into into each other's sort of arcs of fire and field of view and stuff. And and it was a well choreographed in sync fight, which I thought was good. We haven't really talked about Sheen Hetty much, and I think this was you know on the back of the last episode with the you know showing her skills as a pilot, seeing her skills as a Jedi. I think she's quite mm. a capable you know, back up to Balin. Yeah, absolutely, Craig. Very medieval, aren't they? Her and Balin in their appearance, which she's got a lot of, it almost like a suit, not a complete suit of armour, but like the shoulder pads, the wrist guards, it's all very shiny and silver and a bit different to anything we've seen before, really. Yeah, I, I like her. She's edgy. I think Grant called her Shin Hottie when I met him on the Echo. Have you seen Chappie? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. She's got a real freaky sort of menacing psycho look about her all the time, hasn't she? I mean, I can't, you know, she's just got this piercing look with all that sort of eye makeup just staring at you like a deranged person. You can't, you can't sort of envisage her whispering sweet nothings in your ear with that sort of gaze yeah. on her face. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah, they're both really cast. Our shadowy Jedi are. But I, I, I think that's one of my. My str- struggles with it, though, it, Craig, is is what is their goal, and it's never. It, it all comes. I see it as a bit of a. It's this mystery box that they don't want to let too much out of the bag. Cause they want to save it for the next season or the next series or the next movie. I just get a bit frustrated that you don't find out much about the pair of them beyond the fact that Balin was in the Jedi Temple, survived the purge, knew Anakin Skywalker, and I, I would have liked to have seen a bit more of their objective come out. And what, what you know, what they are, you know, they're in the subtitles as being false Jedi. What's a false Jedi? They don't mention the dark side ever. They wear black, but beyond that, we don't know much about them. No, but I think that's okay because mm. you know the main thrust of the plot is a is a mm. search and rescue type thing, and you've got to leave something on the table for season two. I hope so. I hope so. And again, you know, if you if you think about the Kessel Run. You know, and, and things like that. We didn't know anything about that. We just were like, oh, that sounds cool. Mm. Next, you know, because there are enough distractions elsewhere within the series to keep us satisfied. But no, I, get you no, I agree. I mean, it's just the fact that I enjoyed the characters so much. I wanted to know more about them. It's not, although it's an, 
a negative because I want more. But yeah, yeah. I, I really enjoyed their their story, and I would like to have seen more of them in the show. Well, let's talk about Merrick's demise then. So he's obviously for me. He is. I mean, you mentioned it before, Craig, about him being a night sister zombie. I think that's pretty clearly what he was because when Soka takes him out, all that brick green mist comes out of him. Yeah, yeah. So he's so some that... sort of resurrected, a resurrected inquisitor of some description. Mm. Yeah. And then, and then Balin again. It, it, great scene, great light. I thought it was a great lightsaber fight between them two. I mean, there's one point where he's pushing down on Ahsoka, and then he just he kind of has this extra thrush. And he, it, 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 it's the character that he's just so um, imposing. Mm. He really is. And I don't, I, I don't think there's been another character like that. Certainly not in live action since Darth Vader. He's kind of got that presence on screen. He was just fantastic. Yeah. Great, great battle between the two of them. He's one of those people who doesn't need to raise his voice. It's just all soft, menacing, but with gravitas about it. It, it was, you're right, it was the the fighting there. What you had with Ahsoka, Balin versus um, Sabine and Shin. It was the difference between refined and raw fighting. Yeah. There was yeah. so much style to it and, and changes of, of sort of of fighting styles and, and very sort of samurai and everything else. And the other one was just more, yeah, raw, just not panicked, but there, there was no art to it. It was just a little bit more sort of savage. Mm. Um, yeah, really, really great. Really, really good. Then, you know, Balin just, whilst he was doing this, you know, taunting her as well. Um, so, yeah. At this point, does anyone not know that Anakin Skywalker became Darth Vader because everyone seems to know don't they <laughs> the the bit that I liked was when Shin and Sabine were fighting and Sabine was on the floor and she's like reaching out as if she's going to use the force and then she yes yeah, I don't know whether she was actually trying to do that and it didn't work she just decided to go to her rocket but yeah the fact she let that rocket off from her wrist mm. <laughs> was quite humorous I I wrote down Sabine tried to use the force did she question mark because then Shin says you have no power but when she sort of did that, she sort of gave a gesture and then you heard this sound. Was there like something. a force rumble noise yeah, there in the yeah, background? I oh, okay. Definitely okay, I got that. Catch that. Oh, okay. It's weird. I mean, some of the sounds... So the, the rocket was like a backup then when the force didn't work. She yeah. decided to... Okay, cool. Yeah. Some of, some of the sounds in this show up until now, you know, we're on part four, are brilliant. I think on, on the second watch of episode one, when Sabine puts on her projector... I think I can hear whale sounds as soon as she puts on her projector. I was like, that sounds like whales to me. And, and then, as I said, the, the, the like, Spitfires in the previous one, Spitfire sounds sounded brilliant. And in this one, the ghost flying, when you see the ghost flying in real life, live action, real life, with the X-Wings, it sounds insanely good. The X-Wings just sound brilliant. So, the Talking of the ghost, right? So what do you think of the look of the ghost? So in my, I always thought when they did Rebels that it was a, a cheaper show than Clone Wars. You know, that was one of the things that when George mm. Lucas making Clone Wars, it was kind of like the benchmark. You know, money was no object. It was coming out of his pocket. He didn't care how much it cost. It just needed to look good. There was no budget within reason. So they had lots of assets over the years. They built up more and more characters. So, you know, crowd scenes got more populated by different characters and it was all very, looked very well lived in. When they started to do Rebels, if you watch those early episodes, it's very sparse. There's, you know, open landscapes. There aren't many character models and the ships that look very boxy. 
very basic and boxy to, to a degree you know not like you know early mm-hmm. 90s kind of animation but certainly back then and i think i think the ghost suffers from from some of that it is a very basic shape so i, I don't look at it and think that looks like a well-lived in star wars ship i just think it it, it, it would be if it was if it was made in live action as it should be i think it would be a lot more a lot different to that it would be a lot more falcony with bits showing on the outside it just doesn't it just doesn't scream star wars to me other than its cockpit do you like the sand crawler yes see that's just a you know what's that trapezium i, I don't know it's just that's just a bit boring I just, isn't it i think it's a, I, I think it's a victim of when it was made rather mm. than Mm-hmm. It, it, it's what it would have been if they were making it for, in the Clone Wars days. Yeah. It would be a different ship. But yeah, it's just a shame they couldn't do something more with it for this. So I think anything that needed an overhaul would have been that. But then you'd have had the hardcore fans going, oh, it doesn't look like the ghost in the series. Yeah, never satisfy everyone, of course not. But no, I, yeah, there, I, there, there, there are a few shots where it looks fantastic. I think mm. when, when the ISR jumps to hyperspace and it's thrown backwards and it's kind of silhouetted by the planet behind it, it mm. there's some great shots there of it, I must say. But yeah, the, right. the, the, like the electricity when it goes off to hyperspace, it leaves that kind of trail behind it when it goes. So yeah. you know it's going that bit faster. <laughs> <laughs> it's like an EMP pulse taking out the X-Wings and the Ghost. Yeah. but. When it was flying along next to the X-Wings and that sort of high-pitched sound of the X-Wings and everything, I was just like, this is TV and it's amazing. Yeah, yeah. So, it was. The special effects in there are absolutely cinema quality. Yeah, I, I, I get, I hear people like, well, CGI didn't look great in this or, or you can you can notice the volume where, you know, people are on the ground and they're, they're looking at various different things and some of the processes behind them make it. I've not noticed it once. I think sometimes people look for things like that i think sometimes people look for the flaws and if they look for them they can see them whereas i'm just caught up in the in the story yeah. in the I, I think from, i think from that perspective it is a better show because something like obi-wan kenobi that that is really bad for that but i didn't i didn't ever once think to myself i'm watching someone standing on a soundstage with a big hd screen behind them i thought mm. it looked it looked pretty good i think it still suffers from the fact you've got these big open spaces and everything's not very well populated there aren't many extras in a lot of scenes but you can't have everything it's a tv show and it's got a set budget but yeah i'm enjoying it i'm up yeah, to this yeah. point I'm, I'm enjoying it so so what about in this one we did right at the end as he says as dan says last scene in ahsoka what we think is water turns out to be the world between worlds with the whole hay snips thing vader theme and then you see anakin World Between Worlds, for people who have never seen Rebels before or, or anything like that, have we just lost everyone? This is a good point. <laughs> well, depends on your on your interpretation of it, doesn't it? Or your point of view. Well, yeah, I mean, there's, there's so much to do with this and the Mortis, World Between Worlds, a Force Cave. They're all meant to be the same thing and is it a dream is it real is it an actual physical place what's your interpretation of it then craig what do you think the world between world is <laughs> <laughs> I, I think if you're a fan of genre tv and movies you'll be familiar with that kind of liminal space that is outside of the realities that we know example off the top of my head where 11 goes in stranger things you know mm. it, it's it's a familiar sci-fi fantasy trope 
and Star Wars hasn't had it up to this point. So I think viewers would kind of get on board with that if they've experienced, you know, the shows where, you know, that kind of thing happens. I think the bigger question is what it means. You know, what does this what does the introduction of this mean? Does it mean time travel? Does it mean people are coming back from the dead? Is that going to change Star Wars to the point where it's not recognisable as what, what we know and love? So that's that for me is the interesting mm. question. I'm not going to say any more because I've jumped ahead. <laughs> <laughs> okay, whilst we're just talking about the world between worlds, so because it was mentioned in the the Kimberley bit at the beginning, and yeah, it can be confusing for people, and people might want to argue and say, yeah, but that's not what I saw in the OT, or that's not what I saw in the PT. Therefore, it doesn't make sense to me. It's you're adding new bits. But I think I'm such an OT, I don't want to say an OT ninja, but, but the, the, the words are just so much ingrained in my mind of what was said throughout that. Because I just, you know, used to watch, rewind, watch, rewind. And in The Empire Strikes Back, Yoda goes on to say, through the force, things you will see, other places, the future, the past old friends long gone and to me that entirely fits with what we will know see and go on to see about the world between worlds don't forget uh, force cave as well exactly yeah, yeah. And, and i've got i've got that also written down there that the cave in esb is just like world between worlds absolutely so you know these are as we said you know it depends on your on your opinion, your outlook, or, or you, you know, your own point of view. But for me, I can make it work. That this is just a different way of explaining things, and um, yeah, it, it fits, it works. I welcome it. So here we go. What are the scores on the doors, George Jaws? So results for episode four: Rotten Tomatoes joint top again. It's interesting. Episodes two, four, six, and eight. All got 100%, the even ones. Uh, IMDb, 8.4, so joint second. And We Are Generation Skywalker, 4.3, so joint middle, pretty much around about the middle. So yeah, a, a high scoring, high scoring episode there. Really, really good stuff. And people were just waiting. You've just seen Anakin Skywalker, hey Snips. No, we've got to wait another week. I was lucky enough just to wait six days. Because part five, Shadow Warrior, is the uh, is the one where I ended up getting a ticket to go and watch it in London, uh, which were which was really really good. Thank you so much to James Burns and uh, and Disney. That was awesome. What a treat. The only reason I'm here is to secure the future for you. Something far greater. Ambitious necessary so yeah this one director dave filoni himself runtime 51 minutes and yeah in leicester square soaking this up on the big screen and i wish every single one of these episodes was on the big screen because it just looks incredible but let's start off a look of absolute love on ahsoka's face when she sees anakin you know and later when she sees him again it's just just I know. I just thought that was it was wonderful. More sweeping Ryan Johnson style. The Last Jedi, reds, wave crashing, the trees, everything, nature, mystery, magic, and then machinery. You had Hu Yang looking sad, 
he's lost everything you know they've gone anakin and snips cut to them you look old arms folded you lost a fight comes back from him you still have a chance to live they go on these are effectively lessons between anakin and ahsoka he wants her to be able to live and at the moment her future is uncertain live or die he says to her i won't fight you she says to him i've heard that before of course he has return of a jedi luke says it to vader and then they start a ferocious fight we cut now to jason the you know the son as we've already said of of hera over the water just listening and then you've got Hera with some sort of tracking comms device. Looks just like Han Solo in, in Hoth when he was uh, when he was trying to do some tracking. You've got Carson talking about issues with senators and command. Whereas Jason, just listen to the waves. Don't you hear it? What, the waves crashing? No, the lightsabers. And this is the first time, ladies, gents, all, that you hear the Force theme music. You hear, whilst we've heard wonderful Kevin Kiner music throughout the series, you hear the force music as Jason says, no, the lightsabers. With that, Carson, get your squadron airborne. I need you to, over the ocean, low altitude, full sweep. Jason has abilities. His father, Kanan Jarrus, was a Jedi. And with that, Carson leaps into action and gets going, and they continue the search. More stuff going on back and forth between Ahsoka and Anakin. I haven't taught you everything yet. He sweeps the floor and sends her tumble into the ground. She wakes up in the Clone Wars, where you hear people saying, come on, forward, hurry up, snips. And then it cuts to a very, very young Ahsoka, aged 14, her right at the beginning. Wait, this is a Clone Wars? Yeah, no kidding. So, yeah, really good. And then you see Ahsoka just mortified with the death, the loss of her troopers, the remorse, the sorrow. We've lost so many. Anakin trying to teach her, you know, that there's always a price to be paid. And then uh, you've just got this young and scared and upset Ahsoka having her lesson. What if I want to stop fighting? Then you'll die. Then we've got this breathtaking scene of Anakin walking along, sort of walking away, along with his lightsaber extended in his right hand. Flash goes to Vader, then flash back to Anakin again. Filoni's done this trick before in the past with Palpatine, but it just looked absolutely brilliant. You've got more waves crashing, ships searching, Jason and Chopper giving some direction, trying to desperately find them. And then we've got another cutscene, back to even more intense fighting now, demonstrating that Ahsoka is, is, is grown as a warrior, and this time she's at the Siege of Mandalore, where she sees her old companion and body Rex. Anakin didn't know this one, and he wouldn't do. They go on to fight again. Anakin, Vader, then Anakin, walking again with Vader breathing. He says to her, time to die. This time, Anakin's got a red saber. He's got Sith eyes. He disarms her, but then she, him. I choose to live, you hear Ahsoka say. To which Anakin simply replies, there's hope for you yet. You then, it transforms. Ahsoka then gets enveloped in water. There's celestial music to accompany a sort of spiritual rebirth. It is very, very much of that sort of, um, of, the, of those, that sort of visual. The rescue, it's all about purity, cleansed even, coming out of the sea, coming out of the water. And then I completely take away from this magical moment because I hear Chopper. And Chopper's making all these silly sounds like Brian Bedonde from Face Jacker. <laughs> We got her, John. 
which just completely then takes me out of the moment. <laughs> Carson explains that the fleet is on the way and not there to help. Ahsoka, looking up, sees a pergil. Mon Mothma informs Hera that she might lose her command and, and Ahsoka needs to testify to protect Hera. With this, Ahsoka explains that she knows how to find Sabine. It's a visually stunning sequence. And this is TV! Ahsoka stands on her starship and attempts to communicate with Purgles. Carson has to hold the fleet. Then you see the Purgles' mouth open and they go inside. The mouth closes of the space well. And then it goes to the final little scene. Hera, I'll find them. I promise. May the force be with you. You rewind to 1980, the end sequence of Empire Strikes Back. Lando, Princess will find Han. I promise. Luke goes on to say, Chewie, I'll be waiting for your signal. Take care, you two. But then the final line is Lando, may the force be with you. It's absolute sort of mirror in there. Uh, it was a wonderful, wonderful top tier episode, which it was just outstanding. What did you guys think? It was definitely, I thought, the best episode up to that point. I think kind of the rumours were swirling round before the episode four had dropped that Anakin was going to make that appearance. And yeah, it didn't disappoint if you're a, a fan of Hayden Christensen as, as, as Anakin Skywalker. I thought the de-aging was great because they have de-aged in there. And uh, it's certainly a lot better than it was in the Obi-Wan series when they had him fighting Obi-Wan, I thought. Yeah, I mean, he's obviously been all these years practicing his with his lightsaber because it was <laughs> looked like being back in revenge of the sith the way he was turning his lightsaber around and going at ahsoka i thought it, it was great seeing the clone wars in live action is something that people have spoken about for a long time and i know there was hopes to see flashbacks in the obi-wan series of the clone wars but now we've we've finally got it there's no droids unfortunately but we got to see live action clone troopers anakin wearing all of his clone wars armor we got to see the very start of the Clone Wars. So that, that, that scene, that battle is from the Clone Wars movie. And then the final battle on, on Mandalore, where you see Ahsoka fighting those, um, the, the Darth Maul troopers with the horns on their head is from the, from the, I think one of the, well, it's from the last arc of the Clone Wars where she captures Darth Maul. So it kind of ties in the beginning and the end of the Clone Wars. Hence the reason Anakin was saying, I don't know this battle. Because he was busy <laughs> getting, getting ready to uh, getting ready to slaughter young children in the Jedi Temple. Yeah, it was it was all encompassing. I thought it was great. They are rewriting history on that boob tube, though, aren't they? <laughs> the young actress that played her there, though, she's having a bit of a moment, isn't she? Because she she was she was a young Gamora in Infinity War a few years back. Yeah, no, I I, I echo Dan on that completely. I thought Hayden was outstanding. Thought the de aging was great. It was just so nice to see, you know, that live action Anakin just exhibit some of that warmth and that wit that maybe sometimes got a bit lost in the in the prequels. I um I really enjoyed those scenes with them together. I thought they were I thought they were great. And yeah, seeing those phase one troopers in, you know, actual real life was uh was a bit of a thrill. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, actual armor um, clanking around, which which was great. I also thought Jason's little role in it, you know, as a token character, you know, to some degree for him to just unlock that moment and go, no, she's down there was, was a real good use of him. Hmm. Uh, Cause he could have been very sort of superfluous and just there because we know he exists. Yeah. As you say, he could have been irritating, but I think it was really warmly done and believable. 
And I think it added a great deal of richness to that character and with the music as well. It's just, yeah, wonderful. And going on to the Pergils, I thought that that shot of her standing on top of that ship was brilliant. Yeah. It was really, really good game. It's, this is TV. It looked, it looked great. And you're meant, you believe there's a space whale now. I'm, I'm buying it. And they can jump to hyperspace. I'm buying it. Yeah. And they, and they appreciate the good side, the light side, you know, because they're just, you know, it just, I, that's, I just had this warm feeling about the whole thing. And I just worried that my impression of this episode was skewed because I got to see it early you know that cinema and i was just like yeah yeah. and i was just thinking am i actually am i seeing this through sort of rose-tinted spectacles and i don't think i am you know having watched it again and and the fact that it's held up so well on the big screen you know i I said this is tv but it could easily be more you know if they're if they're struggling for money right when it comes to stuff like this i would have gone to the cinema every week to watch these episodes I really, really would have done. I just thought they were wonderfully done. I think the Clone Wars kind of flashbacks were covered in dry ice, and, mm-hmm. and but but very stylized. But I think that worked for the context they were being shown in, in the world between worlds, where a lot of the details stripped out, and you're just showing you the, you know, the bits you need to see. I didn't, yeah, you know, didn't bother me that there weren't armies and armies of battle droids or tanks in the distance. You know, it it, it yeah. works in the context. And I think that well, I mean, if, if we're to believe that is not just a vision or you know it's a real place and it's not just all in her head that's kind of the first time we've had any experience with anakin skywalker slash darth vader since he died and that's that's telling as well he's a bit more at peace with himself because at one point she says uh, ahsoka says to him something like if we'd have known what you'd become something like that and Mm. he turns to her and he says is that is that what this is all about have you learned nothing let's start again it was it was kind of he acknowledges that thing and that's when he got angry and kind of became darth vader again so it feels like that's still part of him Mm. but maybe he's he's come to peace of it a bit more but yeah it's interesting it it definitely raises lots of questions but yeah sorry about the brian badonde thing chopper really (laughs) bear 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 (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you, know that's, you know that's Dave Filoni didn't you doing all of that yeah I'm sure no I didn't know that but okay no he's, he's the voice of Chopper he did it in the Clone Wars in, in the Rebel series as well that's him making silly noises or saying things and getting his voice modified through some sort of Ben Burke contraption yeah it's very I think at one point he does, he, he does I'm sure he drops a couple of F-bombs in that scene <laughs> In the second episode where he's trying to find that tracker, if you listen to it, there's definitely, yeah, it, feels, it sounds like there's a couple of F-bombs in there. Disney Plus aren't going to rest until we all fall in love with Carson, are they? No. Yes. Yeah. Like, he just keeps cropping up. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I did write that in a, a previous episode one as well. It's just like, yeah, here we go. And start, I don't know about you, but it's just like, oh, here he goes again. But I guess it's that sort of fabric which is trying to sew the whole sort of, it show continuity isn't it with one particular sort of sub character yeah i do wonder though if that should be zeb because there's there's that they they went for all that all that expense in that third episode of mando in in, sorry mando series three and they showed zeb in that episode and i can't believe he never showed up in this series Mm. whether that was a budgetary thing or something like that i don't know but it's just crazy that you didn't get that final member of rebels crew in there somehow not yet so should we see then what we got? Yes. Everyone's going to love it, aren't they? Rotten Tomatoes, 85%, second from the bottom. 
I can't get, I can't understand that. But then IMDb 9.2 top score. Uh, we are Generation Skywalker 4.8 top score. Yeah, very much aligned IMDb and WAGs. But yeah, Rotten Tomatoes second from the bottom. I don't, I don't get that. I just don't get that. So there's hope for you yet. Okay, then let's move on to part six. Then far, far away. Craig, do you want to give us the uh, SP on this one? Yep. So far, far away was released on the 19th of September. Uh, director was Jennifer Getzinger, and the runtime was 48 minutes. And now we are going places to the very Rosario and Hayden centric episode that we just saw. We're back with the rest of the cast. Uh, and this episode opens with Ahsoka and Hu Yang uh, still hitching a ride with the Pergil, much like the biblical legend Jonah or, you know, the morality tale of Pinocchio. And while they're kind of taking this downtime, hitching this ride, Ahsoka laments on the fact that Sabine, in giving the map to Balin, made a choice that could have ended this anticipated conflict. Ahsoka requests that Hu Yang tells one of the stories that he would tell the Padawans of old. Uh, and he begins with the line a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, which is a beautiful bit of framing and makes us question everything we've ever watched, whether it's just who young recounting a tale. Um, and then we cut to a galaxy far, far away. Sabine is locked in a cell as Elspeth, Balin and Shin drop out of hyperspace into the orbit of Peridia, home of the ancient Dathomiri Night Sisters. Pergil skeletons litter the planet's rings. Peridia is a graveyard where the Pergil come to die. Their shuttle receives an invitation to descend to the surface and lands on top of a tall tower containing a henge-like structure very similar to the one we saw back on Cetos. A trio of red-cloaked witches, the Great Mother Night Sisters, greet Elspeth and the others, but not without a remark that the party reeks of Jedi. Sabine is led to a holding cell and the Night Sisters summon Grand Admiral Thrawn. Thrawn Star Destroyer, the Chimera, makes an impressive entrance and stops to hover over the tower. And we see that the ship is battle damaged and is repaired with gold panels. And once we're inside, a battalion of stormtroopers, identified in the subtitles as night troopers, are similarly battered and repaired with gold and wrapped with red ribbons. They're led by a night trooper named Enoch, who sports a helmet redesigned to display a golden costume mask, presumably an affectation born from a decade living with these Dathomiri witches. Thrawn enters the scene in his white imperial uniform, although it's noticeably faded from the years in exile. He's characteristically direct, discarding the pleasantries, though remembering General Balan, Skull of the Jedi Order, to which Balan quickly responds that he parted with the Jedi a long time ago. Elspeth informs Thrawn that Sabine is with them, and he smiles in recognition of the name. Thrawn upholds Balin's promise to Sabine that she could search for Ezra and returns her weapons and releases her along with a Irish wolfhound-like creature called a howler. He then instructs Balin and Shin to follow Sabine's path and then kill them both, committing only two squads of his troopers to assist, implying that his forces have taken a, a real hit over the years. Sabine disposes of five Tuscan Raider-style outlaws in the wilderness then encounters a small native creature hiding under a shell disguised as a rock. On recognising the rebel symbol on her armour, the diminutive Jar Jar in a half shell takes Sabine back to a small encampment 
filled with dozens more of the characters living in little Airstream armadillo vans. Also living in this community is Ezra Bridger. Sabine and Ezra's reunion is a sort of muted affair after all the build-up. And in the final scene, the great mother's feel Ahsoka's impending arrival. Thrawn isn't happy about this, and he admonishes Elspeth, ordering her to dig up any information he can on Ahsoka and prepare to destroy any Pergil without prejudice. Thrawn closes the episode by making an appeal to the great mothers for further assistance with their dark magic. I think, yeah, the Chimera made a great entrance, didn't it, after all that? You know, when you think back to the heir to the Empire, the fact he's still got a Star Destroyer that's called the Chimera is a nice callback. I know it would have been in Rebels as well, but yeah, it makes you feel a little bit more um, at home in Star Wars. This this is one of my favourite elements, that that scenario of them being away for all this time and taking on some of the culture that they've been surrounded by. So gold clearly is a readily available material and they use it to repair the ship. They used it to repair the armor, which they, I think, did in a way that they tried to do with Kylo Ren's helmet in uh, The Rise of Skywalker, but did it in in, in a much better way. And and this idea that, that, you know, they've got red ribbons that are clearly, you know, relate back uh, to the Night Sisters' aesthetic and presumably tradition. And Enoch, you know caused a lot of reaction online to see that stormtrooper turn and have that face that was very jason and the argonauts clash of the titans had that grecian kind of feel to it and i just think you know we've seen the empire over the years we've seen adaptations of armor for different assault conditions you know practical things because they're an army after all and this just you know it made those remnant stormtroopers in the mandalorian just feel like what they were which was just some stormtroopers, no, stormtroopers. <laughs> <laughs> have, have you seen um enoch captain enoch the rock the rock johnson so <laughs> yes. someone's 3d printed his face and <laughs> yeah the rock's face and attached it to a stormtrooper mask it's fantastic so yeah i thought that was just a beautiful bit of 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 smart art direction showing us in a scene that stuff's gone on in the last 10 years and there's been this alliance between Thrawn and the Night Sisters. Just yeah, beautiful stuff. Yeah, he definitely stood out that Enoch. He um he's got a very modulated voice as well. So he's obviously suffered some damage under that mask. He doesn't sound like a, a regular stormtrooper. No. Going back to the beginning of the episode, though, where Ahsoka and, and Ha Young are having that conversation and he's and she's asking about, I think he describes it, the history of the galaxy, volumes one, two and three. Yeah, part one, two and, and three, yeah. And she says, oh, episode one, that is the best one. I did what I wonder if that's a popper. Everything else is saying that the prequels are the best. I did. I did read it that way. Or is it the OT is the best? Because that was the well, best. yeah, yeah, who yeah, maybe. It depends, yeah. depends with Dave Filoni, where Dave Filoni sits, stands on on that, I suppose. But yeah, that was my um, yeah. yeah I, think, I, I, I thought they were talking about the various trilogies and having a dig <laughs> in the best possible way. Yeah, I, I like that. And it, yeah, I don't, using that line, the far, far the galaxy, far, far away. That was some people didn't like that. They rubbed up against it, but I kind of, I kind of was okay with that. I liked go it. For yourself, go exactly. For yourself. I liked. I liked it. Was it was fun. It was Absolutely. just like that works. That so works. And why not? 
Tell me why not. Why not? I, I do not understand why people I, get I so upset good. about that. I, I liked it. Yeah. I like that. I like Howlers as well. They, yep. were, they were great. I thought, yeah, I mean, great addition to the Star Wars creature cannon. I thought they were, I thought it was really funny. <laughs> it ran away when she got attacked and when it came back afterwards, she kind of like shoo, shoo, and then kind of walked across the screen and then it kind of come trotting along behind. I thought that was a nice little comedy moment. I like the 70s hyperspace travel with the whales. I put 70s because it's all like disco neon bright colours. This isn't just hyperspace. This is trans galaxy hyperspace. It's going to look different. Uh, with the whales in them i thought they looked brilliant i i love the imagination of this you know even the little things you know sabine in cuffs i think this was probably balan's finest episode if you did a whole show dedicated to balan and all of his bits from the from this series some of the not not the monologues but just the back and forth of what was being said i loved the little gold mini ship uh, which was like a flying mini sand crawler thought that looked the business the planet, the scenery, yeah, it was just so, so good. You kind of alluded it to um, in a negative way. I suppose, Craig, my feelings the same. Ezra's entrance was a little bit muted. Yeah, it was. You know, after all the build-up, it was just sort of, yeah. They had, See, you know, a little hug, yeah. a few kind of bit, bit of banter. Yeah, how did you get here? Oh, it's, yeah, it's a long story. I'll talk to you. Well, come on, how did what, what's been going on, Ezra? What have you been doing for the last ten years? And you know, he's going to be keen to know. You know, what's happened at home? You know, is the emperor still alive? Or, you know, what's what's the crack? It was all very. Oh yeah, great, you're alive. <laughs> right. If I travel all the way to Craig's house, which isn't that far, or if I travel all the way to Dan's house, <laughs> I want more of a reaction, right? <laughs> and she's just potentially ruined the galaxy. And others, and uh, it's just like, yeah, well, all right, all right. yeah, yeah. That that I, I agree. That was a bit muted. Yeah, but we're ticking the boxes, right? So the plot's getting there. You know, we've reunited <laughs> these characters. We've got to where we need to go, but we're we're getting there. I'm enjoying the ride, though. I'm still mm. I'm still with it. We've yeah. got some knee eye help. What the? What did you call them? Jar Jar. Jar Jar and Marshall. But that's a big Star Wars ingredient, isn't it? Yeah. All help is better than no help. Mm. Yeah, they seem a strange little bunch, don't they? I do wonder whether or not Thrawn had kind of travelled that galaxy at all, whether he was stuck on that planet and they'd been there for 10 years. It just seems odd that he's still cruising that Star Destroyer around and he's not he's staying in one place. Because if you look at the back, there's a few engines working on it. I think the big engines, the three engines are out, but the four smaller sub-engines, they're still, they're still running. That's what's keeping them mm. airborne. There'll be a novel, mate. That's exactly. You're gonna to have to read the book, aren't you, to find out what happened? Yep. It's all at least probably a trilogy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I just think you know this whole Enoch uh, thing, the music, the sort of sort of really slamming down on a on a um, organ. You know when when uh, Thrawn was walking down, the chanting, the support for Thrawn. I just thought it was like something we we haven't seen before in Star Wars. You know, the Emperor didn't get chanting like that. Darth Vader didn't get chanting like that. I just thought it was just something different and it showed... I don't know, I, I, I liked that. But it was the Balin stuff. When he was talking about the, you know, the Jedi, he's like, I miss the idea of it, but not the truth, the weakness. And uh, he goes on about something calling to him, the enemy of our enemy is our friend. I, I just thought it was really strong, really powerful, stoic bits and pieces of, of Balin. Yeah, each and every episode, what he does 
even if it's only a limited amount in the episodes, it's just brilliant and on point. Gold. Mm. Yeah, it's gold. Do you, want, do you want the scores on the doors? Let's do it. Results for episode six. Rotten Tomatoes, 100%. Joint top. IMDb, 8.3, which is fourth. And We Are Generation Skywalker, 4.5. This was second. So, uh, yeah, people still absolutely loving it. Up until this point, an absolutely solid series. Rise of the Empire is inevitable. Part 7. Part 7, the title of Part 7 is taken from a line in Part 6 when Balin is looking over the sort of savannah or he's looking over a skyline and he just says it's a land of dreams and madness and dreams and madness is the title of part seven which came out on the 26th of september directed by Geeta patel with a runtime of 45 minutes this one begins with hera in serious trouble so she's there in some sort of almost looks like a kangaroo court she's in court and she's got all the senators in front mon mothma's there surrounded by all people and she is stood up and having to explain why she has taken these ships away and why she, why she's gone off chasing false jedis and everything else and star wells and you've got senator ziono really giving her a hard time struggling to believe any of her story she is on the cusp of a court-martial and a de-ranking it's not looking good when in walks c-3po giving general leah's direction on the order proper top cover if ever hera needed some top cover she had it thanks to 3po so uh, yeah that that's gone the risk of court-martial taken away and senator ziono put totally back in his box then a quiet moment between Hera and Mon Mothma, where Hera just quite simply says, oh, I'm being questioned about uh, Thrawn. We have to prepare for the worst and hope for the best. Then we move on to the hyperspace journey. You've got Ahsoka practicing with Anakin hologram, giving advice. Anakin then dropping names all over the place from the Chromals, talking about, you know, General Grievous and all that sort of stuff. Super fans loving it, going crazy. And that's just really, really nice just to see that Ahsoka can continue to practice with these Anakin holograms. And she's got these. She's got these. And who knows what she'll do with those in the future. They come out of hyperspace into a minefield and then they have space battle. So it's all, all kicking off. Great effects. Looks really, really good. So whales getting damaged, ships getting damaged, and the whales leave them to it as they're totally getting smashed. They then see the eye. They get chased by multiple fighters and head to the debris field of uh, this sort of, you know, whale graveyard. It's very ESB. It's very Empire Strikes Back. Thrawn is then briefed by use of the Inquisitor database, which is lovely. And then uh, there's uh, a chat. Someone comes up with a line, we're going to get pulverised, which is, again, another C-3PO line. Ezra chatting with Sabine. So we, we cut to Ezra chatting to Sabine. So this is Sabine obviously giving him the sort of cliff notes, the back brief of what's happened in the last goodness knows how many years. And it goes on to say, what, the Emperor died? Mm, Sabine, that's what people say. Whereas a few years ago, yeah, they would have been, yep, Emperor's dead. So, you know, leaves it open. Somehow Palpatine returned. So, yeah, the Emperor died. Mm, that's what people say. And then explains, yep, Seb is off uh, training recruits. Where's Ahsoka? question mark 
Thrawn then asks the sisters, Dathomir, great mothers, find a Sokotano. Yes, Grand Admiral. Hu Yang can't find Sabine with a, uh, with a scan. Ahsoka calls for her like Luke in Empire Strikes Back. She sees her, but immediately blows her cover with the witches and fire rains down on them from the eye. Thrawn, he's actually happy or he's showing contentment with this because he's pushing her away and again says that their friendship focus is bringing them closer to failure. Balin sends Shin to kill Ezra and Sabine. She doesn't appear to be overly chipper about this, but, you know, he's now on a different path. Her last lesson for her? Impatience for victory will guarantee defeat. All of these scenes running around, the very sort of Lord of the Rings, which is a big themes, which I think Filoni's taken from this. Then Thrawn dispatches two gunships of troopers. You've got bandits chasing and firing at the Noti, or Jar Jars in a half shell, and then they're surrounded. Ahsoka's flying nearby, so she does a drop out of the ship onto the ground, which helps her to land, and she lands just about 20 metres away from Balin. How very convenient. They draw, it's great, and then back to the others fighting. We've got more Empire Strikes Back quotes I've taken from this, because Ezra, he, he simply won't take the lightsaber, and he says... Um, the force is my ally lots of force push in and you know he's shown this and again that sort of takes me back to the whole yoda thing which we'll, we'll come on to shin shows up and starts on him ezra totally holds his own he, you know defenseless apart from using the force and just when you think they have it shin force pushes ezra and you cut back to the masters fighting and and they're really really going at it well and they get split up by hu yang flying overhead and flying some uh, flares more troops arrive. It's looking bad. Ezra tries to talk his way out of it, sort of old school rebel style And just as it looks like they're about to die, Ahsoka arrives. They win. Hurrah. Lots of shooting, pushing, and again, mini rockets. You cut to Thorn, discussing the loss with Morgan Elspeth, and his just thing is, we've gained time. The troopers get the message to retreat. Shin is clearly conflicted. Ahsoka tries to recruit her or, or turn her. She runs off. You get the impression that Sabine still wants to kill her, but Ahsoka holds her back. Ahsoka and Ezra are reunited. Heyoung arrives in the ship, and then uh, Ezra gives it the whole, guys, I'm getting a feeling like I might be going home after all. And should we start with the uh, the space battle at the beginning? I thought that was that was game pretty well done with the, like you said with the Empire Strikes Back callbacks and going into that whale graveyard. I think we saw the glimpse of that in the first one, but actually to go in and see all those giant whale bones, I thought that was that looked really good. It, it made a lot of sense of their life cycle. Yeah, you know, because <laughs> up to that point, it's like, oh, what are these whales? Why do they travel in high hyperspace, and why do they want to give somebody a lift back to a specific destination? <laughs> yeah. They're salmon returning to spawn. They're you know they're going to the great place they die, and that kind of go okay, yeah, that that tracks, you know. <laughs> yeah, and it, and it's interesting with the Night Sisters the way they're building up the mythology around those guys. Now they're clearly going to play a bigger part in the future of whatever comes next after this, and they're, they're kind of building up some of that mythology around where they actually come from. I mean, are they from? that galaxy or did they travel from the prime galaxy out to that one it's kind of like a bit of a yeah a bit of a mystery there's stuff in there that's straight out of that episode one art book isn't there the sith witches yes yeah, yeah. it's just it's lots of callbacks to that the um the bit we we did we have missed that i pointed out to you guys a few a couple of days ago was on balan's wrist 
gauntlet. The, the name's <laughs> in Orabesh. So someone's done a close-up of one of the shots, and it's got all of the well, the, the big six on there, isn't it? So it's got Han, Luke, Leia, Chewie, R2, and 3PO, if you translate the Orabesh. So I don't know whether that's his hit list or not, what his, his goal is to go back and take out all those characters. He's aware of, of, of the famous six from the original trilogy. Mm-hmm. Or just someone on the production team having a laugh. I know, but you know, it would be good though. You can dream, can't you? <laughs> but we'll talk more about that at the end because this this could be going places in that direction. But let's let's keep our powder dry on that. But yeah, the, I thought it was a, a, another good episode. I, the, the the lightsaber duel, the second one between Ahsoka and Balin. I wondered if that was. It was a bit of a strange one, wasn't it? Because it's kind of like he didn't want to fight her, yet he ignited a lightsaber. He was clearly going off away from the battle. He didn't want to get involved, but yet wanted to stop Ahsoka. Was he using um, Shin as a bit of a distraction so he could go off and do what he needed to do while while Thrawn was distracted, yeah, leaving the Mm. planet? Because I think he's got a much bigger goal. The the whole Ezra not wanting the lightsaber, it's a weird one. You know, he's not had a lightsaber, so he's completely out of practice. So I kind of get it. But he's probably been training in the force. He's probably been, you know, just whilst bored with a naughty. You know, there's no one else to talk mm. to or the naughty. Mm. Um, because, you know, he said, look, the force is my ally. And then I go back to the whole Yoda thing for the force is my ally. And a powerful ally it is. Life creates it, makes us grow. His energy surrounds us, binds us. You must feel the force around you. And Yoda goes on to say, between you, me, the rock, the tree, everywhere. And I'm like, yeah, well, that's Ezra. Because look, there's a little tree. There's a rock. That's why. And it's it's all the same. It fits. And mm. um, so to me, that was just like, yeah, that's why Ezra's just doing all this force pushing and doing this, that, and the other. Then unfortunately, because he is out of practice, uh, Shin puts him on his backside. But... I did, I did like it when she singed his hair with a lightsaber. Yeah. Well, that was pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> but loads, loads of, of Empire Strikes Back I'm getting from this. Now, is that very, very smart writing by Filoni? Because he knows that there's split of opinions on Ahsoka. He knows that he's got certain demographics, certain age groups. And he knows that a load of o- OT people find or hold Empire very dear to their hearts. So by chucking in all these little empire things, as subtle as, as subtle as some of them are, but not so subtle in some areas, is he just really trying to open his net of acknowledgement and acceptance? Yeah, I think I think he probably is, but I think he's also I think he's got a lot of appreciation for those movies as well. Yeah. yeah. So I think as much as they are for us, they're for him as well. He's got a unique Star Wars brain, hasn't he? Yeah. I'd like yeah. to think it just comes out naturally, and it's it's, it's not writing it to a brief. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, in terms of kind of, I know everyone, I say everyone, a lot of people would hold Andor up as being very much there. This is the, this is the Star Wars they wanted. I, I still think that in terms of the, you know, the fun and the excitement and the adventure, this is probably hitting the mark as close as anything to the original trilogy. It, it's not quite there, but it's as close as we've got. It's, it's definitely got that feel about it of adventure. It's mm. a lot of, fantasy notes isn't it like yeah. just, it's got that lord of the rings sweeping yeah. landscapes they're dressed like knights for god's sake you know yeah. it's, it's it's something and it's something everyone can enjoy you know there isn't anything here that you wouldn't show a six-year-old and the same band it could be appreciated by us at our age 
and and you know what i think sometimes there are people who want to dislike stuff and want to say oh no that's not my star wars that wasn't the original star wars right when we look at our beautiful planet which we you know we're slowly trying to wreck it appears um but when when you look at our beautiful planet and look look at below the surface you know you look at below the sea you look you look at all the different uh, varieties of creatures that we've got birds creatures all over the place uh, and and it's just insane and and that's just on our one small tiny little planet let alone in a galaxy so let your imagination run riot let's see what we can have in star wars you know the whole thing with let's talk about whales right i can imagine some people like whales in space are you, are you kidding what what are you going on about hang on a second all you need to do now is look down at the bottom of the ocean right the bottom of our ocean where we can't even get submersibles to go down there without imploding yet you can have tiny little sea creatures and stuff just living just just absolutely fine doing their own thing not needing light not needing anything else but just living just existing and that's star wars that's what you've got with these whales and space and everything else why not it's an you know it's an infinite galaxy worth of imagination and intrigue and i'm all up for it you know it's, it's crazy and i think that's george lucas's vision and the story's told well yeah as well as it can be there's obviously flaws in that but when you look at something like obi-wan which i you probably heard our review of that i wasn't particularly pleased with but there was some there was some major story issues with that whereas this although you have to kind of figure some of it out for yourself and if you've seen the other series you can fill in the blanks it, it's still it still all holds together there isn't anything that we've had so far that's made you think well hold on a minute this is this is you know there might be the odd character that hasn't reacted to something you haven't you haven't expected them to like ezra finding out that the emperor's dead and things like that but generally it's it's a well-told story yeah do you want to see what people thought of it yeah let's let's get let's start, let's get on to the last episode Rotten Tomatoes, 88%, third from bottom. IMDb, eight, fourth from bottom. Uh, we are Generation Skywalker, 4.1, second from bottom. So, um, yeah, everything in the sort of, you know, four above 80% plus, but still quite near the bottom for episode seven. Still high scores, though. Well, they're all back together. I hope I survive long enough to see the outcome. We are on to part eight, The Jedi, The Witch and The Warlord, released on the 3rd of October, directed by Rick Famuyiwa. Uh, runtime, 48 minutes. So, as the op- episode opens, Elsbeth is given the gift of shadows by the Great Mothers and also Mother Towson's sword as a reward for her efforts so far. Meanwhile, Ezra constructs a new lightsaber using spare parts found aboard Ahsoka's ship. After their ship is damaged by TIE fighters, Ahsoka, Ezra and Sabine make their way to Thrawn's Star Destroyer, the Chimera, which is docked with the IS Scion and is ready for departure. They start to scale the temple, but are confronted by a group of night troopers, whom the Great Mothers repeatedly resurrect each time they are killed. They run into Elsbeth, who engages Ahsoka with Talzin's blade. Sabine helps Ezra force jump onto the Chimera. Then she stays behind to help Ahsoka, who snatches Elsbeth's blade away from her and kills her with it. Ahsoka, Sabine, escape from the temple by leaping to the ship. However, after some parting words from Thrawn, the Eye of Sion jumps to hyperspace before they can reach it, leaving them now stranded on Peridia. 
Thrawn and the Night Mothers arrive over Dathomir, and we see Ezra disguised as a night trooper, has escaped from the Star Destroyer in a stolen shuttle, and reunites with Hera and Chopper aboard Home One, leaving his Stormtrooper helmet on longer than he should have. Meanwhile, back on Peridia, we see Shin has joined the bandits, and Balin stands on the pointing index finger of a giant statue of one of the gods of Mortis, the father, which is flanked by similar-sized statues of the son and the crumbling daughter. Balin looks out into the distant mountain range, to see a flashing beacon at one of the peaks that the stone finger he stands on points to. In a final scene, we see Ahsoka and Sabine have rejoined the Noti, or the Jar Jars in Half Shells, and are watched over by the ghost of Anakin Skywalker, who appears pleased with his apprentice and credits roll. What do we think of that then? Loads to unpack with this episode. Zombie Stormtroopers! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Proper they had death troopers. choices to make there, didn't they? Like, how zombie-ish to make them. Because mm-hmm. I think there were certainly some scenes where they just get up and they were just stormtroopers again. And then there were mm-hmm. some scenes where they were a little bit lumbery, a little bit dragging their feet, a little bit zombie-esque. But I think it sort of... I think the point was driven home when Ezra was battling the, 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 the two um, uh, death troopers. Death troopers. Sure was biting. <laughs> well, even when because I, I had the subtitles on for some reason while I was watching the episode, and when they start to reanimate the first time, the, the, the subtitles say bones cracking, so mm. they obviously were really going for it. Sounds of bones cracking, so that was obviously there some somewhere in the mix. Yeah, they've been wanting to do zombie stormtroopers forever, haven't they? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I didn't know if that was a second wave of troopers coming in, you know, that we didn't see because there were, yeah, absolutely. Some were acting like zombies and then others weren't. So I didn't know if they were reinforcements or not, which, you know, which is the way in which that episode was cut together. I don't know. Thrawn well, said, didn't he? They're volunteers. So these yeah. guys knew, they knew what they were going up against. They knew yeah. they were going to get resurrected. So I think there was only one group of them. That's all that's needed because you just mm. keep bringing them back to life. Mm. And this was the dark magic that he, he wanted more help with. And what do we think are in those coffins? If they are coffins on, on Thrawn Star Destroyer, are they other night sisters? Are they night brothers? Are they something else? Maybe they are the clones of, or maybe they are dead people who can crew all the Emperor's Star Destroyers, which we see in Rise of Skywalker. Ooh. I don't know, because where, where does he get the crew to man those ships? Yeah. This was the episode which I kind of struggled with the most. Um, okay. So I, I like, you know, the first episode I liked it, apart from the fact it's like, why is there a map? Why is there always got to be a map? But then, you know, I got into it with the map, and but I was just like, who who left that um, little orb? Who who left that map key point in that buried Indiana Jones type thing? Why do we always need those sort of trails? But then I, I come to this one, and I was just like, it just seems that they were like, yeah, we've got to do it in eight shows right now. Let's wrap it up. And and no one had the confidence to turn around and say, no, we need to make it nine or we need to do this or it needs to be longer because there were a couple of decisions I didn't get. Maybe I just haven't thought about it enough. Why did Soka and her band, when they were so worried about Thrawn and everything else, why were they slowly overflying the Noti? I, I just don't get that. I don't know. So Ezra could build a lightsaber. I, I, I don't know. It's my big criticism as well. They should have been rocking and rolling and flying straight yeah. to the Star Destroyer. Yeah. Almost like on a suicide mission. You know, we've got to do this. And, and you know, we'll, we'll come to it about 
Ahsoka why she was so content that all she's wanted to do is stop him. All she's wanted to do is stop him. And, you know, she's mentioned it in, in previous shows. And now she's there. She's stranded. And now he's got away, yet she's still cool about that and, and we'll we'll come to that but it was the slow flowing of, of of the knotty it's the slow overfly i just i just didn't get i didn't i didn't get it at all you know there, there was more sort of callbacks and lines from new hope and, and, and empire you know if you kept up with your training i try i do i do you know all that sort of stuff um being a jedi isn't just about wielding a lightsaber it's about training your mind your body trust that trust in the force all that sort of stuff I wasn't convinced that Morgan needed to stay. I think that was just a, a sacrificial time thing. I, I, again, I wasn't totally bought on that. But it was the stupid jump. It was the cartoon crazy style jump. Ezra, the longer you hesitate, the harder this gets. Come on! Ezra. Really? Yeah. I'm surprised at that. What? What? Right? That was huge, right? And the longer they were like, oh, you know, why, why don't you do it? You sure you want to do it? You sure you want to do it? And I'm like, hello, it's moving. You know, and it's these things aren't moving at really slow speed. Even even cruising out, it's going to be going at a reasonable rate. You know, even five mile an hour, that's getting a big gap. And the fact that this person has demonstrated no force powers whatsoever, and, you know, and if she gets this wrong, he's then dead in the abyss. He's like, yeah, yeah, chuck me. I just... Uh-huh. Oh, it's my turn, Jez. It's my turn I did, I did, you, I, to I, tell you what's what and why is why. Yeah, please do. And then, well, just finally, geez. before you jump into that, so one, <laughs> once he's jumped in there and then he's just about to get taken out by someone, right, she shoots at range, like range, someone with a pistol, right, that annoyed me when earlier on at close quarter range, close quarter battles, she couldn't hit the side of a bus with a longer barreled weapon. She was she was awful with shooting a weapon, yet at distance she shoots a pistol. So talk to me about why the penny is suddenly dropped with her. I think um, it's because she found Ezra. That's the bottom line. And, uh, you know, when, when Ezra's in trouble, like you say, when he's being attacked, she grabs hold of that. She's shooting the gun up at that point when they're fighting the stormtroopers. Mm. She grabs that lightsaber and she, she's like, she's never, she cuts that stormtrooper pretty much in half. Then when they're fighting the death troopers, she's, you know, you can see Ezra's in peril. She grabs that lightsaber with a force and shoots the, shoots the death trooper through the head with it. Yeah. It's, it's, it's all to do with Ezra. But Ezra a... makes that jump. She pushes him on. Yeah, but earlier on she couldn't move a cup. But Ezra's the key to her. That's what's unlocked her. Her love for Ezra. Reach. It's true. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what that's what it's telling you. That's what the show is telling you. You okay. can buy it or you can't buy it. But that for yeah. me is what's what it's telling you. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I don't think the false jump was that crazy, though. I've seen bigger false jumps. I'm sure in maybe in video games. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I think Obi Wan could have made that jump without a boost. Yeah, but all of a sudden, right? So this is someone who, throughout the series, she's had one training session with Ahsoka, and then just some chats. Right? It's just like reading. You know, it's like getting one of those books which you might have like in your in your toilet downstairs of all like you know peaceful quotes and Zen and stuff. And you know, so getting given all this 
information about you know the force and all of a sudden she can push someone who's mate i i don't disagree that her characters have been retrospectively made a jedi there was no indication in 75 episodes of of rebels other than world and the lightsaber which she got trained just to use the lightsaber not the force yeah she had zero force ability i've got an issue with that i mean obi-wan says in a new hope that you know it's in all living things you know surrounds us penetrates us binds us together so you can argue that you know the force has just been in there it's just not awoken yet so you know yeah i I can't explain why their ships were flying slowly other than they needed to give ezra time to build his lightsaber which was a nice thing because you found out why ahsoka and sabine fell out which is nice because yeah, yeah. you hear the whole thing about Mandalore. Why they didn't tell us that in the first episode, I don't know. It would have been nice to have that information earlier on, but having it now, you can probably go back and watch the show and it probably makes a bit more sense. Yeah. But no, the false jump for me. That I, I love the show. I, I love the series, but the false jump, it was like, oh. That's your, that's your fucking Reaver moment. There's <laughs> 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 no talking me out of that. No, I think there's I think there's two characters who know more about what's going on than than, than the rest of us, and one's Ahsoka and the other's Balin. Because Ahsoka says at the end, you know, Ezra's where he needs to be. Mm. She's suddenly chilled about not rushing home, so kind of she she knows something. <laughs> there's all the you start getting into world between worlds and stuff, but you've got that the bird flying around. Did you yeah. notice that at the end when oh, she's looking yeah. at the bird? So that's one of the they call converse. Convoy, yeah, the Maury. So, so that, yeah, so that's a representation of the sister from Mortis. That's what form she took, and she's in quite a few episodes of Rebels and stuff like that. I think when Ahsoka gets lost fighting Vader, you see that when Vader walks out of the temple, you see the Convoy flying over the top of him, and there's a couple of other times when it appears as well. Yeah, it's all pointing towards this going to Mortis, which again is pretty deep stuff right that unless unless you've seen these episodes of clone wars and they themselves are very you can interpret them in lots of ways it's all very mystical and strange and will a lot of people really be bothered by this stuff i don't know i like it i find it interesting but you've got to take them on the journey you know you need six episodes as you kind of reestablish things start mm. dropping some hints you know if that's where it's going if that's where our big end game movie is gonna you know suddenly have relevance to these yeah so I think I think the beacon that he sees is another entrance to the world between worlds or to Mortis. I mean, arguably they're the same place, but that's where I think he's what he's heading towards. I think he he wants to become, he wants to go back to the source of the Force, where it all kind of flows from, and yeah, tap into that. Which takes us to the acolyte, doesn't it? So for all those yeah. people thinking, hang on a second, what's this Mortis? Gods of Mortis? What are you talking about? A bird. Um, so the Clone Wars series three episodes fifteen, sixteen, and seventeen. So it's three episode arc: Overlords, Altar of Mortis, and Ghosts of Mortis. It will take you less than an hour and a half to completely catch up on that. So yeah, twenty seven minutes, twenty seven minutes, twenty six minutes. So uh, yeah, hour and twenty minutes or so, and uh, yeah, real trippy sort of thing with uh with these uh gods of mortis but really explain and sort of open up more for you be wary excuse me who are you taking us to the father of course of course and what exactly are you we are the ones who guard the power we are the middle the beginning and the end glad she cleared that up for us of that scene when you saw balin standing by 
two sort of, you know, rock... Uh, what would you call that? Well, how would you describe that? Well, it's sta- he's standing on the finger of the statue. The yeah, finger that yeah. if you watch it, the finger that's pointing out onto the mountains, he's standing on the finger. Exactly. Yeah. So you can see the father, the son, and there's a crumbled away one, which is uh, to the left. And uh, and people's thoughts are, or, or what we've seen is this owl or owl-like creature known as the convor, the mori, is a sort of reincarnation of the daughter who sacrificed her own life so Ahsoka could live. Because Ahsoka's been known to die once or twice. So um, so this owl is then, whenever you see Ahsoka, Ahsoka every now and then will see this sort of owl, this uh, convoy, sort of keeping watch and looking out for her. It's an all and, part of the force keeping her eye. And there's loads of, loads of theories. So in that episode, when, she, when you say she sacrifices herself, she passes her energy into Ahsoka. Mm. So the theory is, does she become, is Ahsoka destined to become the daughter? And yeah. take it, take it. You know, and Anakin, they wanted Anakin to stay there because he was the balancer of the force and he could control the sister and the son, or sorry, the daughter and the son, which effectively is the light and the dark side. Yeah. So is he going to get there? Is Anakin going to be there? It's, it's yeah. Any, it could go lots of different directions, but there's some of the, the theories that float around. So yeah, and I suppose it's how much you're invested in whether or not you buy this stuff, whether you just want spaceships shooting at people and lightsabers in Star Wars, or whether you can get into any of this more mystical stuff. I know, but that's the great thing about Google, isn't it? Because you can be like, "Oh, what does the owl mean? What does that owl bird thing mean there?" And it's just all over it, and there's videos made and, and everything. So yeah, if you want to know a little bit more about that, Clone Wars Series Three, Episodes Fifteen, Sixteen, Seventeen. And that is the great thing about this series, just because of the amount of layers. So for the casual user, they would have gone, oh, yeah, nice ending, apart from the jump. Nice ending. Uh, I wouldn't have necessarily noticed. Um, or... Tell you what I had a problem with. Him landing on a rebel ship, getting off with the Stormtrooper armor on and helmet, and then walking off just for the reveal. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> well, you would have taken that helmet off, wouldn't you? If you were going into, uh, in an enemy ship, you'd stolen an enemy, enemy <laughs> helicopter, Jez, yeah. and you were going in for a landing at a British airbase, would you still be wearing that <laughs> yeah. that enemy's uniform when you I, got off the ship? I'd probably be opening up comms on every comms <laughs> channel, unsecure, on guard and on everything, saying, don't shoot, don't shoot. Yeah, but there. Yeah. It's a shame he didn't land on that ship at the very start with the captain that, that everyone just come on his ship and he would have been all right there. Yeah, no, I, 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 I thought it was a good ending. I, I didn't have a problem with a false jump. I thought it wrapped things up nicely. They clearly are kind of laying track out for the future. Maybe we can talk about that after we've done the scores. But yeah, I thought it kind of, it was a well-rounded ending, I thought, with lots of lots of different directions it could go, lots of food for thought. Should we, uh, should we get the scores? Uh... Why not? Rotten Tomato gave this 100%. Again, joint top. So that's episodes 2, 4, 6 and 8. You got 100%. IMDb, 8.4. So joint second. And We Are Generation Skywalker, 4.3. So joint third. So again, some really, really high scores there. So overall, as an average, what we're hitting about, what, a 4.5? I've got it here. So round up. So uh, an average of the online scores... We are Generation Skywalker's average is 4.31, IMDb 8.175, and Rotten Tomatoes 94%. So uh, a consistently high-scoring series, though. I think we can say there weren't any which, you know, really, really bombed. 
and I don't think we've had a Star Wars TV show like that um, at all. They've all had a clangor, haven't they? Yeah. Maybe that maybe that time to fly was the only one, but that's, that's kind of just a nitlude. It's such a short episode. I don't want to make excuses for it. If that's the worst episode, that's the worst episode. But it was definitely yeah, consistent scores the whole whole across the board. It wasn't like you had an episode where you had what were they the the, <laughs> the mods chattering <laughs> on them on their mopeds or anything like that. It was every every episode yeah. seemed to seemed to sing. They should have resisted that title, the what, Jedi so- the, and the Warlord. Oh right! <laughs> Come on, <laughs> it's a bit of fun. We'll lose a point for that. I, I think it wrapped it up well enough. Left enough strands to keep me interested for the next instalment. You did well. Did I? Thrawn got away. And thanks to you, Ezra got home. I hope. He did. Ezra is where he needs to be. And so are we. Was there anything, I know we mentioned before a few bits at the start, Craig, the art direction and stuff like that. Did you want to go for any of that now? Yeah, I I found that really interesting and really quite strong. So if you think back to when this show was announced, you know, the logo, the Ahsoka logo had that star map, you know, the, the concentric circles. We've seen star maps before in Star Wars. You know, if you think back to Yavin, you think back to that control room. You think back specifically to the, you know, the vintage Princess Leia card back. She stood in front of that glass panel and it's these circles and these lines. And I just think the heritage that they've kind of latched onto to expand, to give this show its look and feel is is quite smart because, you know, on one, on one hand, it's, you know, it has this blend of, an AA roadmap is a very functional thing, but there's a whole load of mysticism as well that is kind of evoked by these strange circles and this and this geometry that is clearly part of this interlinked world, which is not only hyperspace travel, but it's the you know it's evident in the world between worlds. If you think of that as an environment, if you've got all these yeah. blocks in the background, and I just think that they carried that through really really well it's on the hinges it's on the map yeah it's credits <laughs> it's it's very reminiscent it put me in mind of the design language of a of another long-running franchise specifically uh, a planet and a race and i'm wondering if anyone else picked up on that anyone know what i'm thinking about no gallifrey it's very doctor who Okay. If you think of some of the sort of iconography of that show, particularly when you're talking about the Time Lords, it's it's very similar. It sort of seems to have that same connotation of of of, of interconnectivity and possibility. And I just think it was really smart. And and mm. you know, it's in the titles. It's it it's it's everywhere in the show. And I thought it was very well realised. 
Did anyone else kind of? No, I hadn't. I mean, I'd picked up on some of the stuff you'd said, but I hadn't connected it all together. So it's interesting that you've, yeah, pulled that out of the bag because that was kind of. I think they've done it quite subtly, haven't they? In that way, it's not. It's not in your face, but you're right. It's, yeah. it's all over it. In the yeah. maps, in, in the holographic projections. There's one other thing, Craig, which I saw in this logo because you've got me thinking about the logos before when we've looked at Kenobi and stuff and the use of lightsaber, you know, in a Kenobi one. I think there could be Ahsoka's lightsabers in the Ahsoka logo because Ahsoka has two lightsabers. One is slightly shorter than the other one. And when you look at the Ahsoka logo on the left-hand side, she's got one continuous sword, one long line going from H and A, joining the A and the H. And then there's a longer one joining the final three letters of Ahsoka. So you could argue, I'm sure that they could come up with some sort of um, <laughs> some sort of graphic or some sort of, um, what's it, an emulation where that logo then the it turns into two lightsabers making in there. Can you see that? Can you picture that? I can see it now you've said it. I wish I'd had you in on some of the pictures I've done in my career. <laughs> but that, that's there's a shorter one and a longer one and i would argue that they're lightsabers <laughs> okay that's my pitch yeah it's just something i wanted to, to highlight thought it was a yeah. an element of the show that was, was really well done mm. i mean what do we think of the music i mean, personally there was a few standout themes soka's themes specifically mentioned already the the rock music used at the start for sabine when she was racing her speeder and i know people rave about kevin kiner is it the guy who does the music yeah. but it didn't really stand out there wasn't main theme it was it was it didn't it didn't offend me in any way but it didn't none, none of the themes seemed to stand out to me even watching it a second time maybe maybe thrawn's the, the, the big organ that plays but a lot of that is is um, carried over from rebels i didn't think there was any major new themes that stood out in this for me yeah, see, Kevin Kiner and the kind of brothers. So he has done Clone Wars, Star Wars Rebels, yeah. the Bad Batch, Tales of the Jedi. And so, you know, he, he's done a more now, now he's done this. So this is a, an accomplished person who maybe some of the people who have been raving about it is because they, they notice it, they pick up on it. Mm. You know, I did particularly like... I think it might have been episode two or three when you know there was lots of action and it was appropriate for the action i, I really felt that better stronger than i did in in some of the kenobi ones i was just like oh, the music's a little bit misplaced here but i thought the music was really good again i i, I can't recognize any themes after force awakens i could instantly give you you know ray's theme and stuff and yeah. kylo's theme but i couldn't now turn around and give you necessarily some of the sort of main protagonists or, or their themes from this but I, I do remember at the time thinking this is good the sounds the music and everything it's a, a terrible answer but no yeah it was it, sort it, of ingrained it, in my mind mm. I mean, no, you I get something like the, the mandalorian where it's very it's very different but it all sounds very orchestral but it just hasn't got that john williams zing except when he use a john williams theme no, it didn't. It didn't jar, and it was it was consummate with the quality that was being shown on screen. So mm. that's a that's a bare minimum that the music had to do. The, the, there's kind of three. I think there's strong character performances all the way through this. It's hard to point at anyone and go, 
you know, they were they were a bit off, with one exception, which I'll come to. I, I mean, I think Thrawn was well realised. He didn't have a lot of screen time, but what he did have was filled with menace and smarts and, you know, the, the, that kind of military tactician that, that we kind of want to see. But I think, you know, we've mentioned them both, but I think Hu Yang was just brilliant. You know, if you think about being David Tennant and going, right, you've got to follow C-3PO, you've got to follow K-2SO, you've got to follow L7, you know, this long list of sassy, absolutely character-packed droids. You know, where do you start? Where do you start with that job? And I think he did a brilliant interpretation. Just, it was such a nice balance, you know, this the wisdom of him. But he was quite jaded and cynical at times, but emotional. He'd lived a life. I, I think it was just, he was a real standout, mm. that, that droid. 25,000 years old. <laughs> there you go. You can appear anywhere in Star Wars pretty much. <laughs> I, think, I agree. I think, I think, I, I, I don't know if I'd put him above C3PO Jez, but he's definitely, he's definitely in the top three droids of all time. I, I don't think we can't not talk about Bayon Skull a bit more as well, because I thought yeah, no, I Ray, Ray, Ray Stevenson's performance was brilliant. And it's just so tragic that he's, he's not going to get to play that character anymore. It's just, it's, it's really, really sad. I think what he benefited from in some ways is the fact that, you know, from my perspective, I had no expectations of this character. He wasn't somebody who cropped up in Rebels, you know, but he had a job to do to be a suitable antagonist to that crew. But he looked, you know, when that trailer first dropped, he looked so generic. You know, it's an old dude with a white beard and a and a cloak and a lightsaber. And OK, the lightsaber's orange, but, you know, it's a bit like, mm, OK. And And to sort of from that point, just excel in every little scene just that i don't know he just he just couldn't take your eyes off him brilliant and i don't know much about the actor i hadn't seen him in probably i've seen him in things but not not don't recognize him just thought it was an outstanding performance what a loss you know are they and where do they go from there with it you know will they recast him will they tell his story in other media yeah i hope i mean the character i I mean as much as you know that you know, Ray stands out. It would be a shame that we didn't get to see the end of the story, and give give it give it chance to happen. Because I think he's such a event. So many positive things said. You know, not just about the performance, but the character as well. It'd just be such a shame if it was the uh, if that was the end. But I had I had recently watched um, without even knowing that he was in it the Indian movie Triple R, set in the, uh, the the British Empire when when they when they were um, in. It. India and an uprising and he was like the evil you know English commander in it and he's he's okay. a right nasty bastard <laughs> but he's, he's brilliant in that as well yeah what a loss you read his Wikipedia he's been around to donkey's years doing bit parts he's done loads of stuff and this was kind of his his big break I mean he played um the Punisher before in one of the Punisher movies and I don't think that did particularly well but I think this would have been a yeah a massive jump for him you know, such a shame at such a young age. And he clearly loved it. He's, he clearly loved the role. He clearly, when you look at what he was doing in the interviews he was giving, the Star Wars show and all, on the Star Wars stage, and then afterwards mm. to sort of just, you know, random media folk, there's plenty of stuff online to show that he absolutely loved it. 
So these layers for an actor to be given, well, I mean, is that do we really need to know yet? It's more about the journey, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Look, I didn't know I could be more excited about Ahsoka until talking to you. So thank you so much. I can't it's, wait. I tell you, this is sprinkled with pixie dust. Everybody's just like, there's something so special. I'm just I'm so overwhelmed with gratitude about being involved in it. I'm still pinching myself. And uh, big love to the fans and stuff like this. And the cast appear to have adored him it does yeah. appear that i don't think i've seen sort of cast tv ensembles um show as much sort of photography and enjoyment as they have done and i don't think that's them sort of trying to show oh look you know how tragic this is it just did seem of genuine sort of on-scene chemistry between uh the actors Can I just bring one more thing up? Of course. I don't want to derail this, right, on the last point. But out of all the characters, all those strong performances, the one I struggled with the most was Rosario Dawson and Ahsoka. I mean, she was a badass lightsaber duelist and would fold her arms and look wryly at people. But she was like a, she was like a very blank canvas. She was a very control character where everything happened around her. And I think there was an over reliance on knowing her history to give her some personality. And anyone coming to this show going, oh, I've heard great things about Ahsoka and seeing that performance go, well, she ain't that funny. <laughs> she ain't that kind of quippy and quippy. Yeah. You know, and, and I think they had an opportunity. I think they had an opportunity with her and Hu Yang when they were on the ship to bring out a little bit more of a warmth you know it was those scenes with us with, with anakin you know, anakin was coming across so much warmer than, than ahsoka she was very removed a lot of the time even that final scene where the, that she's she's sort of stranded with sabine and they're, they're kind of looking into the distance and seeing what they're seeing you just wanted her to put her arm around her or something but there was just this i don't know and it clearly you know creative decisions on how to portray that character but i think she was the one that was lacking a little bit for me and i don't know what anyone else thinks yeah i was kind of hoping when she after that fifth episode when she meets anakin that we'd see a different side to her that she'd come to terms with certain things she obviously had i think you're meant to believe she's got a lot of guilt because of walking away from Anakin and everything that happened after that, she probably blames herself. It's probably why she was keen to go after Thrawn or not go after Thrawn and just destroy the map in those earlier episodes. And I was kind of hoping that once she kind of got over some of that, that you would see it. And I think they did try to do that, but even still, it just, it, it, there was more of that there, but yeah, still not enough to make you think actually, yeah, this is a really cool character. You know, that was definitely for me, one of the weaker parts of the show. And I, I think I said at the start, she kind of stand, you've mentioned it there as well. She stands around a lot with her arms folded and gives a, a knowing smile or nod. And that was kind of a lot of what she did, except for when she busted out the lightsabers. Yeah, it's a really good observation. Uh, and I agree to a certain point of view. I mean, again, though, for the casual viewer who who isn't read in on the backstory. Yeah, wholeheartedly agree there. I mean, maybe, you know, arms folded is one of these big sort of non-verbal comms um, bits about being uncomfortable, being a bit untrustworthy. You you see that, don't you? As soon as someone challenges something or says something, you see it, people always end up crossing their arms. And, and it's a really sort of negative way that people don't necessarily, you know, subconsciously will do. 
And as you think about Ahsoka as one of these people who's been had loads of trouble with the Jedi Council, you know, thrown off the Jedi Council. She's got trust issues, right? Girl has got trust issues. And then there was Order 66. Again, she loved uh, Rex and and all that. And again, more trust issues there. So I think having grown up with that and then seen all these problems and then been on her own a little bit and gone from here to there, maybe, maybe there are more trust issues. And the fact that her and then Sabine had the issues... Maybe she's just, I don't know, always on her guard because she feels like no one else has got her back. But again, that's all sort of reaching and backstory stuff. I agree with you, Craig, that if you're watching this for the first time, maybe there is no warmth to that character. And uh, and all the people who have been bothered to score this are the people who actually are really, really invested in the character. Certainly, if we go back, my wife just couldn't really get into it she wasn't gripped by it i think maybe she's just working too hard because <laughs> she was just falling asleep in front of her telly and then for the i think for the last four episodes we didn't even discuss whether or not we'd sit down and watch them together and i've not tried to push it on her uh, i think uh you you said the same didn't you dan and and i think Stu as well so it'd be interesting craig what uh kimberly thought of ahsoka kimberly really enjoyed it uh, but made similar points because she she'd not followed the 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 Clone Wars or the Rebels to any great degree, but knew, you know was aware of the hype. This character's amazing. This character's a figurehead for the you know the Force is female and she's feisty and she's this and she's that. And then you watch the show and it, she's somebody who's surrounded by literally to Dan's point colourful characters. You know we we, we kind of had a good chat at the end of it. And it's been like, well, why was it called Ahsoka? <laughs> you know, because it's, it's a real ensemble piece of work so yeah i think they've certainly got something great to build on let's leave on a positive you know i think she's uh she's in a different place now we can see a bit bit of a different side to her she's not trying to um you know work through her guilt over sabine or you know being a wall for a while she's got a mission and maybe we'll see a, a a bit more of a feisty ahsoka in uh in season two indeed Will there even be a season two, or are we are we heading straight into a movie? That's the question. Well, wherever it goes next, yeah, I'll be there. We'll be there. Exciting to see. Yes. So, what do you think, Craig? What are you going to give this out of ten? Uh out of ten, I really enjoyed it. I relish the direction that it's taking. It's not repeating Star Wars tropes for repeating them's sake and for that i will give it a strong eight very good where does that rank within your in the star wars tv shows that we've had where does it rank among Mandalor, <laughs> mandalorian book of boba fett kenobi i'll have to, I'll have to reconfigure it's very hard to put a score on these things it's just sort of yeah you know, mm. only a sith deals in absolutes dan that's it well i'm a sith so i'm going to tell you what i think in my turn. <laughs> go on then jez what are you giving it uh, I, I, don't know. I thought after all that, Craig was going to give it more than an eight. I, I really did. I thought, Craig, you were really, really giving it some big big licks. And then I thought oh, you were going to give I was like, oh, he's going to give it the same as me. I really loved it. I'd happily watch this again and probably again. And uh, I would give it an 8.9, which I know is <laughs> wow. huge. But yeah, I, and I think that goes with my... 
average of I was really really quite happy to be given fours four point fives throughout all all of those votes. So I think eight point nine for me. Yeah, yeah. Couple of issues I didn't like. Big jump, but <laughs> on the whole, great series. Ahsoka lives. What about you, Dan? Oh well, I think the first. If I if you'd have asked me to to score it after the first after watching the last episode the first time, I'd probably give it a lower score. But now I've had a chance to go back and watch a big chunk of it again. I, I'll go with an 8.2. And for me, it's the best Star Wars series outside of the first two series of Mandalorian. I thought it was really good. I think there's definitely there's some pacing issues. I think there's some story threads they could have been a bit more explicit about rather than it's you know it's show and tell it feels it always feels like they're holding stuff back for the next show yeah but just just in turn just to, to orientate you sometimes just to give you that little bit more even if it's just one line you know that bit about soka training sabine and the reasons why she walked away rather than waiting to episode eight that should have been up front in the first episode so you kind of know where you stand with the characters and you might be a bit more understanding of ahsoka in that in that respect but going back and watching it a second time and knowing that it's 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 a bit better but yeah i i really thought it was good it's definitely some of the better stuff they've done better than kenobi better than book of boba fett probably on par with andor right i, I was going to say if you've forgotten about andor then because you no, said... no right no 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 absolutely so on average between the three of us that's 8.366 so uh yeah that's pretty pretty even isn't it yeah good good stuff so where do we think it's going to go next then? Are we looking at a second se- season of Ahsoka or are we thinking movies or what do you think? And Because nothing's out there, is it, other than Dave Filoni's doing a movie at some point in the future and there's no dates or anything <laughs> against it. I, I really don't know. We're going to have a Lando TV show. Oh, no, we're not. We're going to have a Lando film. We're going to have this. Oh, no, we're not. We're going to have that. I don't know, man. It's anyone's guess. Not even sure if Lucasfilm know yet. Well, no. I think they've they've set out their stall, haven't they? Yeah. They don't see these individual shows as being a hard line. So we'll see Thrawn crop up in, you know, another show doing some nefarious deeds. You know, Skeleton. I think these characters will float around each other's titled shows. Well, Skeleton Crew's next up, isn't there? So you do every every opportunity that he's going to pop up in that. I think. Yeah. Um, and I think, I mean, the, the, the rumour is, and there are rumours, but they are going to do a movie and it is going to be Thrawn and it's potentially going to be based around Heir to the Empire in some to some degree or another and that they're going to bring back Han, Luke and Leia circa, what would it be, 1980? <gasps> so we'll have to wait and see whether that whether that happens or not. But you can't, they're not going to bring it, that's, that's the big draw, isn't it? You know, the problem is they've done all this on TV now. You throw something at a cinema screen, people are going to go, oh, I'm not watching three seasons of Mando, a season of Ahsoka and a season of Bo- Book of Boba Fett and whatever else comes after it. It's, you've got to have the draw. You've got to have Hand, Luke and Leia. Makes sense. Bring it. Bring it. But yeah, we have to wait and see what we've got next. So it's either going to be the Acolyte or Skeleton Crew. Nothing's confirmed on dates yet, though. It's funny when you look back, isn't it? You think you get to the end of some of these shows and you think, oh, God, I've got to wait a year and a half for that. And the next thing you know, you've seen that show and you're like, well, hold on a minute, what's next? It's <laughs> yeah, it all trickles out and all blurs together. It's never a straight line with you, Jedi, is it? General, 
The Defense Council is requesting an update on the incident. Tell them I'll be right there. So that is the end of our Ahsoka review. What do you think? Why don't you head over to Generation Skywalker's Facebook page, our Instagram pages, and let us know what you think. So we've got a presence on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok. Just search Generation Skywalker and you will find us. If you want to interact directly with us and other listeners of Generation Skywalker, head over to Facebook and join the We Are Generation Skywalker Facebook page. On Instagram, we have two additional pages dedicated to modern and vintage. To follow us on our modern page, look search up gen underscore skywalker underscore modern. And if vintage is your thing, search gen underscore skywalker underscore vintage. You can search Generation Skywalker on YouTube where you can find enhanced versions of many of our shows and other content, including unboxings. And if you can't remember any of that, head over to generationskywalker.com for links to all of our shows, content, socials, and blogs. And thanks so much for listening. But for this episode, it's goodbye from Jez. Why did they fly slowly over the noti? See you next time. It's goodbye from Craig. Cheerio. And it's goodbye from me. We are all Generation Skywalker, all errors, all passions, all Star Wars. Yeah.